Okay. Well, should we? Yeah, let's do it. We're just going to do it live. Ready? In. Oh, I got to pull my rundown. I always forget. Okay. In three, two. <laughs> I was trying to get it before one, you know? I'm going to cough all day. All right. <laughs> we're, we're past it. We're there. Just we're, let's go. No. Okay. All right. In yeah. three. We don't have to keep counting. We're, this is live. This is it. This is the show. You just want to do it? Yeah, just, just fucking it? go, dude. Okay, all right. We're going to fucking go. All right. Well, welcome into the November 30th edition of the Suspended Indefinitely podcast. I'm Justin Reschke. Ryan Noonan is not here. Uh, he has an uh, in illness. Um, he has an inflamed larynx. <laughs> he, yeah, his He's larynx, day to day. His larynx is inflamed. He has a sinus uh, thing. He sounds horrible. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't sound very good to begin with. And he actually really doesn't have a voice, so we probably... He's got a voice. He's trying. We... We probably could have had him on, and it probably would have been fine because people would have been like, "Oh, thank God he can't speak." <laughs> but, but either way, so that's um, yeah. Justin and Alex this week, the dream team. R.I.P. Noonan, Elijah Wan. Um, yeah. Sorry, I put I put the Sharks game on in the background as if that's yeah. This right. that was not a good idea. It's not going to be distracted the whole time, but well, it's fine. not going to be good hockey, so you don't really have to worry about it. Um, but wow. Okay, so this weekend, so I've noticed a trend, and I'm very upset about it, and I think it ruined it. The last two weeks, I go skiing, Ohio State wins handedly. No problem. This past weekend, I don't go skiing because it's the game, and Ohio State gets their shit kicked in. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? Obviously, it happens because I didn't go skiing, but with a 9 a.m. West Coast kickoff for the game, it's very hard to go skiing and also watch the game. So I take – Full responsibility for that. I think it's 100% on me that they lost, but also it's on Ryan Day, and maybe he should be fired. But anyway, your thoughts as an outsider? Well, I have on, a question because the game and just on, on college football. Before we so get into the game, because in, in general, you bring up a, a an interesting not point, but I don't think I'm just just thing that you do. Okay. Um, you're the biggest Ohio State fan that I know on the face mm -hmm. of the earth. Mm -hmm. I, I I've known some Ohio State fans, but not quite to the the level of you. So how do you decide when it's worth not watching the Ohio state game and going skiing instead? The, I know how you love to ski. Yes. But for me, I wouldn't miss like, for me, it's Blackhawks hockey. That's normally that's number one. I wouldn't miss a game to go skiing. Are your friends alumni? First of all, no. See, okay. That's fair. They never run. <laughs> no, of course not. So I didn't go to college. The decision, first of all, usually it's it's damn near impossible to ski this early in the season. I already have two days in November on top of two days last spring. So my pass is already paid for itself that I bought last spring. That never happens this early in the year. So usually it's not really an issue until you start to get like middle of December. Yes, maybe there's a resort that opens a little bit earlier, but it ain't worth it. You know, like it's just not. So, but Early season, that's reason number one. Reason number two, asking about specific games, I would say, you know, like Rutgers, that's that's a ski weekend. Sure. You know, 
Who cares um, about the Scarlet Knights? Yeah. Nebraska, you know, recently coaching change. We'll get into that. Yeah. So maybe Nebraska ski weekends might change. But, Big deal there in Nebraska. But Nebraska, current Nebraska, Scott Frost, post Scott Frost, Nebraska would probably be a ski week weekend. Um, and then, of, of course, you have, you know, Maryland that always finds a way to make the game interesting. I love their uniforms, that little crest thing that they have. Crab is also delicious. Still a ski weekend, though. And to then, his younger brother, almost took it to you I, that week. You know, he was good. He was running for his life, but he, he looked good running for his life. And then I, Indiana was the other ski weekend this year. It's perpetually ski weekend now. So I, I would say looking at the Big Ten, those are the ones that really jump off the chart as ski weekends. Penn State, certainly not. The game's certainly not. Um, Minnesota, probably not. we got a lot of family in Minnesota. Shout out to Minnesota. You know, I, I like keep an eye on the Gophers. Um, so you keep it to the ranked in the in the big games. Kind of. The ones yeah. that are going to be interesting to watch. Let's see, like Iowa, I would watch Iowa. Even mm -hmm. though they're, they're dog shit this year, I, I would watch Iowa. They wave at the hospital. It's kind of cool when they do that. It's like the one thing that they do well. They figured out how to turn around and wave at children. Good for them. Um, Illinois was in ski weekend territory. Now they're kind of coming out of it. They're playing well. I wouldn't worry so much about Brett Illinois. There, not <laughs> Brett, not Bert. So yeah. <laughs> not Bert. <laughs> not Bert. Um, yeah, that's you know, that's that's kind of how it sums it up. I'm forgetting a bunch of other teams and we're no, I mean that's fair. more. I uh, you, know? you kind of do it the same way I look at Alabama football. It's right. yeah, uh, you know, I, I can't stomach another, you know, fifty five to nothing win against the Citadel. Right. Because it's not, it's no, it's no fun. I, I, there's so many more things I'd rather do on my Saturday than watch Alabama football and you know just destroying their opponent. It's it's not fun to watch. Um, this game, however, Michigan and Ohio State, huge, huge game. 45-23 was the final. Um, really can't believe that that was the outcome. As I was watching it, I mean, we kind of texted back and forth during the game. And I was hoping Ohio State would pull this out in, in the end because of our good friend Michigan Ben over <laughs> uh, across the pond took a job over in England. And yeah, what a real fan! He uh, he's he, he loves Michigan football. So moves, there's a moves to London right before the game. What an idiot! Yeah, real nice. <laughs> so traitor. Anyway, um, I can't believe that it was that 40, 45 to twenty three is a, is a pretty. Uh, the big difference there at score. So I, I can't believe that Ohio State would allow 45 points to a Michigan team that, yes, they're undefeated and they're now second ranked, but 45 points in the game? Is that, that something that we have seen before? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Just last year. Ah. But that was the big thing is that Ohio State had, had no identity on defense last year. And, you know, this doesn't happen. Uh, with an Ohio State defense and that a change needed to be made. So, okay, you know, um, we bring in Jim Knowles as our new defensive coordinator, had the number five offense at Oklahoma State last year and had, you know, an outstanding defense um, at the top of the Big Ten uh, this year um, at, at certain points. Michigan's defense was up there as well. So this was supposed to be, you know, a fairly low-scoring game. Michigan likes to keep it on the ground. Ohio State is great against the run. They're even better defending the pass. Um, that was going to kind of be the storyline that that everybody was was looking for. And through, thank you, Lamp. Through the first half, that game was fourteen to ten. Michigan yeah. puts up 
21 points in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. and there's your ball game. And in the second half, Ohio State made no adjustments. There was there was none. On offense, and I mean, we, we talked about this earlier in the week, on offense, it seemed to be in the first half, the run game was working great. Um, you had uh, – Yeah. You had a, 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 the running back transfer from Arizona State, um, Traum, uh, Chip – I always forget his name. Demonte Tram. Chris. Tram. I always want to call him Chris, but no, his name is Chip. He's a Chip. Chip Tram, 14 carries, 83 yards on the ground, and most of those come in in the first half. And yeah, transfer from Arizona State hadn't played really all season. He's not certainly not a bell cow for the Ohio State offense. And Mayan Williams coming into the game banged up. He he did play, looked okay, not his normal explosive self. Um, Travion Henderson uh, started the year as the number one back, traded it off with Mayan Williams here and there. Um, he's got a torn ligament and a broken bone in his foot, so he was he was never really going to play. He did play against Maryland a little bit, but only only for a few series. Um, and he had to come out of that game banged up again. So the running game for Ohio State was going to be weak. And then, of course, you have a true freshman in Dallin Hayden. That I was surprised. This is, this is my gripe with the run game. Dallin Hayden – Ran all over Maryland, and everyone's like saying, "Next man up." He's, you know, he 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 can do it with Williams hurt, with Henderson hurt. We got Dallin Hayden back there. We're not we're not worried at all. Next man up, and he gets two carries for the whole game. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know if there was something else going on there. Um, I don't know if it was a byproduct of of, of Trainum just taking off uh, early in the game with a couple of big rushes to the point where the coaching staff maybe felt more comfortable with him back there. I don't know what it was, but I think that Dallin Hayden after his performance against Maryland should have had more than two carries. Um, I think that Mayan Williams, you have to keep him back there at least for a couple of looks just to show that maybe he's healthy and you have to think about him more in the second half. None of that happened. Um, the run game, I don't want to say it was abandoned in the second half, but it certainly wasn't a staple of the offense. Okay, so then you talk about C.J. Stroud in the passing game. If, if we're lighting it up in the passing game, great, but we're not. Michigan's just hanging safeties up there. All day. Um, they did call some blitzes to put some pressure on CJ, but for the most part, he had a pretty clean pocket. The problem was that you always had a corner and a safety on the same side of the field as Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, even on one of the touchdowns that Ohio State um, managed to throw to Harrison, it had to be a perfect ball down the sideline, and, and Harrison had to make an incredible catch on it and dive into the end zone. Um, the window there was very, very narrow. It probably takes a C.J. Stroud and a Marvin Harrison Jr. to complete that. If you remove one of those players from that scenario, I'm not sure that that pass is completed. And that's how it was all day long. And Harrison was covered up. Um, at Buku, uh, who they lined up, their the other stud wide receiver, who they lined up all over the field, he was covered up, um, usually out of the slot. And there was no adjustment made. There was no adjustment made to get the tight ends more involved to pass the ball out of the backfield, um, to get C.J. Stroud running. That was surprising the last few Yeah, only weeks. two carries. We've we've seen some plays designed to get C.J. Stroud out of the pocket and running just to show that and get it on tape. He doesn't like to do it. It's not a big part of his game. But I thought, okay, they're, they're putting designed quarterback runs on tape for a reason. And then two runs, negative three yards. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's certainly not designed. That's not even really scrambling for yardage when you have an opportunity. That's just not a part of the game plan. So on the offensive side of the ball, that was that was questionable at best in the second half, especially defensive. 
the game plan did not change. And they said this over and over again on the coverage. It was plain as day. Ohio State stuck with man coverage uh, and usually with a one-high safety look. And Michigan figured out very quickly that you can send one wide receiver just straight down the sideline and take that corner and man coverage with him. And then you can run one wide receiver on a crossing route underneath that. And either that safety goes deep, it goes with that corner on that deep route, and that underneath route is wide open. Or he comes up to, to take the man running across the field on the crossing slot, and you've got that deep shot wide open. We saw it over and over and over again in the third or fourth quarter. No adjustment whatsoever. So where does this leave Ohio State going forward? You know, Michigan, they are now second ranked. Ohio State falls to number five. Now, does this still leave them a path to be a playoff team? Or was this pretty much it? They So, I mean, just me personally speaking as a fan, and I know that this is kind of the sentiment with um, a lot of other people that I, that I talk to, it doesn't even matter. It's like CFP, no CFP, go to the Rose Bowl. It doesn't matter. It's This was the game to win and lose. This, this mm-hmm. was the season. If you win this game and you go to the CFP, it's fantastic. Okay, on to the next one. Sure. You lose this game, and it's like no one really cares. And it's more more people are right, talking. That was the game. Yeah, yeah. No one no one's talking about the CFP around around Ohio State. They're all talking about Ryan Day, and they're wondering what's going to happen next with Ryan Day. Well, he's not going to get fired. Short of the NFL really giving him his dream job, he's not going to walk away from his contract extension that he just signed um, earlier this year at Ohio State. But my opinion, it's time to move on from Ryan Day. You don't not make the Big Ten Championship game two years in a row at Ohio State. Especially, you don't lose the game two years in a row at Ohio State. And I could almost give him a pass if he was dealing with a lot of injuries. If there were some other weird you know, scheduling quirks or pressure from outside the program or something else going on. Like last year, I think it was like 13 players on the team had really bad flu. And that was a big story about how the flu was going through the whole program. Not an excuse, but maybe a factor. Not you know, not an excuse to lose by the margin that they did, but maybe a factor. Mm-hmm. Certainly a distraction. But this year, you've got should have been a, a Heisman candidate, if not the Heisman winner in CJ Stroud. Could still be, you know, a top five overall draft pick. Um, we talked about the running backs, but there's still talent there. You've got the best offensive line in the country with three or four legitimate NFL prospects on it. You've got some of the best corners in the country. I mean, Ohio State is now DBU. You've got linebackers. Tommy Eichenberg, uh, if he didn't lead the country in tackles, he was in the top two. Uh, I'm not sure how it played out after the last couple games. But you have talent up and down this roster. And for Ryan Day to lose the game like this the last two years, that's a problem. Yeah, that's That's a real problem. So where do they go from here? Who who are their options? Who's someone they might have their eyes on, or a couple people? Is, has there been a a group of options that have you know Ohio State has kind of you know been rumored to be interested in? There, there are always two. One of them is a long shot because he has an incredible NFL job right now, and his team is going to end up in the playoffs, and he's playing in a fairly soft division in the NFL that's winnable year after year. And that's Mike Vrabel with the Tennessee Titans. Um, he was on uh, Urban Meyer's staff for a little bit. Um, great coach, incredible recruiter, but 
there's no way that he's going to walk away from an NFL job where you don't have to worry about recruiting and NIL money and the portal and heading to high schools that are in, you know, BFE just to see one kid play. And he's, he's not going to do that. He's, he's a family guy. He's established at the NFL level unless something catastrophic happens. And, you know, he puts together a few bad seasons and gets the boot then okay, maybe at that point, but certainly not, you know, immediate. Yeah. If I'm Mike Vrabel, I don't not see in the next year, I'm not incentivized two. to go to college football right now. Yeah. And, and, and the other guy was Luke fickle who surprised everybody and decided to head up to Wisconsin yeah, um, and leave Cincinnati. And that was surprising. And I think, I don't think that Ohio State, they're not looking for a replacement. Those two guys would have been shoe-ins had they been available and had they had the desire, but that's not the case with either one of them. Of course, there's always the Urban Meyer name. Um, Urban Meyer on the post-game show in Columbus was, um, you know, he was he was basically breaking down the game and saying where Ohio State lost it. And in the background, very loudly and clearly, you can hear, we want Urban Chance. That's a big statement from Ohio State fans, you know, given – where we were just, you know, six or seven years ago. So and how would you feel about that? You I said that it. just now and it kind of blew it. my mind it, going down, you know, just thinking about everything that went down with him last year in Jacksonville, I would love it. you would be I would, happy I would with it. an urban Meyer return. Absolutely. So I was bring it back. Bring it back. I even with all of the, the drama that came along with it. Towards I was the end. shouting at a friend of mine that works for the university. And I was saying, if you see Gene Smith up there in the fancy press box, make sure that he knows that urban can't leave the stadium without a conversation. So yeah, I would be, I would be all for it. And obviously, you know, the, everything surrounding Ryan day has cooled down a little bit over the last few days. There's not, you know, Twitter's not blowing sure. up and saying, Oh, fire him. I don't, he's, he's not going to get fired. There probably is no better replacement that you know is a sure thing outside of urban Meyer. And you know, I don't think it's only for that reason. He's 45 and five in his career at Ohio State, Ryan Day is. That's not a coach that you really fire. Right. But it's concerning. Yeah. But, you know, going back to where, where do they go next in the CFP and all that? If they back into the CFP, which at this point, after the rankings come out today and we'll get into that, I think it would take a USC loss to Utah on Saturday. I think it would take uh, maybe even a TCU loss to Kansas State as well. I think that they probably have to have two one-loss teams that they put their resume up against and they say, okay, because, you know, that's – it's it's all about what have you done for me lately, and they just got blown out at home in their rivalry game in what should have been a revenge game. The committee is going to remember that. They did not lose their style points. So if there is such a thing um, – but if Ryan Day can back into the CFP, and if he can get to the final, I'm not saying win the final. Mm -hmm. George is going to be incredibly difficult to, to knock off whoever they face. 100%. But if he can win a first-round game and get to the final, that's a great way to finish the season. I mean, hell, if he can win the whole fucking thing somehow, some way, then all of a sudden I think we really start to forget about the game. You know? Ah, uh, you never forget. You Especially never forget, two years in a row. But some people might. But it's certainly a much better way to go into what's going to be a very, very long offseason and a very, very long 360 days because I'm counting. Um, so that's what Ryan Day can do in the short term to improve his long-term uh, outlook. If he goes to the Rose Bowl and, you know, let's say USC wins out, let's say TCU wins out, Ohio State doesn't get in. We end up as number five or six or whatever it is. Okay, we go to the Rose Bowl and play 
you know, probably Utah that, again at that point. Um, or maybe Oregon. I'm, who knows? So let's say that that's the scenario and he goes to the Rose Bowl and loses because CJ Stroud already said he's probably not going to play if it's not a CFP. Yeah. And, Why would he? Yeah. And, you know, that's probably going to be a lot of other members of the team as well. So I don't who knows what that team's going to look like. They're probably not going to be extremely motivated coming off of, you know, a loss like this um, and really not achieving their goals. And, or maybe they'll be extra motivated. That's going to be up to Ryan Day. But if they come out flat and if they don't make any adjustments and if they lose that game, then I think that the sense of urgency to replace Day is really going to be heightened. I completely agree. I mean, you take a look at how the this team has performed very well with CJ Stroud and last year, you know, they had a great season too, but I think when it comes down to this, this, this game, if you lose it two years in a row, you got to start thinking about it no matter what, like if, if Saban were to lose to Auburn two years in a row at this point, yeah, think, yeah, think you, about that. You, you start thinking, we had this discussion last week with Noonan, you know, yeah. when do you start thinking about the, the next the next hire, you know, mm -hmm. you, you want to get the next playbook, the next phase, the next, you know, program going. And um, yeah, a lot of questions around Ohio state. We talked a bit about the coaching changes around the league, which surprising the most we'll, we'll talk about uh, let's touch on fickle a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was what surprising. do you think about that? That yeah. was shocking. I mean, seeing that roll in um, first, it was that they had targeted fickle and mm -hmm. it's like okay you know big difference between looking at one of the best coaches in the country from a smaller program and saying wow i could see him fitting really nicely in the big Ten. that's that's targeting a guy you know that's like that's like auburn targeting lane kiffin and we all know how that played out but then all, all of a sudden it goes within a matter of hours it goes from targeting to oh well they're calling the board of regents together to approve an offer for him and then within like an hour of that it goes from well, Fickle's going to call a team meeting here and he's going to leave Cincinnati and he's going to be announced as the next coach at Wisconsin. And it all happened within a matter of hours on, on Sunday. It's like, what is what is going on? You know, that was very surprising. I thought that Fickle would be in Cincinnati until, you know, an Ohio State opens up or a Notre Dame opens up or something of that caliber because he was the coach. Yeah, he brought Ohio that State. Bearcats program back. Yeah, and, nothing. and the fact that he's going to Wisconsin is pretty crazy. Um, Matt Rule to Nebraska, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't think he really got a proper chance in the NFL. Um, I know a lot of the decisions that were made with Carolina were his, so it's easy to say a lot of this, you know, a lot of their failures are, are Matt Rule's fault. But at the college level, uh, Matt Rule is an outstanding coach. So I think him heading back, you know, could he, could he fix that Nebraska program and do what he did at Temple there? Everybody thought the same thing about Scott Frost. Everybody said, oh, slam dunk. You know, he's he was coming out of um, UCF, proved that he could be a winner down there, proved that he could recruit. Um, everyone said the same thing, slam dunk hire. That's the guy that they had to go get. Now they're saying the same thing about Matt Rule. Difference is Matt Rule is he's he's got the NFL pedigree, um, not the success that you want to see. Mm -hmm with the Panthers over the last three seasons, but that's still, I mean, talk about expanding your network and really figuring out what works. Um, you're, you're not just motivating, you know, 18 through 21 year olds, you're motivating millionaires who've been doing this for many, many years 
and you have to learn what makes them tick as well. And I think that that side of it will play even better now into the NIL uh, era that we're currently in and in the transfer era that we're currently in. You have to, you know, appease some egos at the college level this day for better or worse. And I think that, uh, you know, Matt Rule's experience in the NFL um, will really contribute there. And the, then the other thing that I really point to is his success, obviously, at Baylor. That got him the NFL job. Um, but if you can go down to a program like Baylor and recruit the state of Texas and hang with the big boys down there, you can play anywhere and you can recruit anywhere in the country. So I think that this is this is a slam dunk hire for Nebraska. I think that it will pan out better than Scott Frost, even though people said the same thing about him. And I think ultimately, you know, this is – the guy that they needed to go get if they couldn't get, you know, a fickle or a Lane Kiffin or somebody along those lines. And then uh, Hugh Freeze. It's a shame we don't have Ryan here to talk about Hugh Freeze and that hire. I kind of really liked what I saw from Cadillac Williams. And yeah. it's uh, it's surprising to me. I mean, it's not surprising that they hired Hugh Freeze because he, he's a good coach. And, uh, you know, he was the guy that they were kind of looking at. But I really liked what I saw from Cadillac Williams and how he called the game. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there in Auburn. Yeah, a lot of people, Hugh Freeze hire was always going to be controversial one way or another. I think it's a good fit. You know, there's certainly, there's certainly things in his past that are 100% true and you can prove them. Sure. And there's other things in his past that are, you know, still at the allegation level. The way he left are, Ole Miss was not great. That are horrible. Yeah. And it depends on, okay, you know, after all of that, do you buy that this person has, you know, probably not even changed because if everything is 100% true, it doesn't matter if they think you've changed or not. You, you, you haven't. You were still that person. But if they honestly believe that, okay, some of those things, you know, were not true as stated, then – who says that he doesn't deserve a second chance for the things that he has said? Yes, these are true. Yes, I am apologizing for them. I'm taking ownership of them. Everyone deserves a second chance. This is a pretty big second chance to get right off the bat. But you're going to Auburn of all places. Yeah, coming out of a program like Liberty, you know, he he ran that program well. I don't recall any specific issues, you know, for him at Liberty. Um, won all three of his uh, bowl games in the four years that he was there. Yeah, seems to be you know a, a player's coach. Seems like players enjoy playing for him. I think the problem with this is Auburn's student body and their greater fan base nationwide. This is going to be a tough pill for them to swallow, and I think it's going to take a lot of goodwill. But Hugh Freeze started in his press conference uh, right away addressing that and saying that he needs to earn some trust. Um, around Auburn. So he seems to be going about it the right way thus far. Um, you mentioned Cadillac Williams. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things with this hire is, and it may have even been a condition, who knows? Yeah, he's staying on. He's staying on and he's getting a promotion as he should. And this is, I think it's twofold for Auburn. One, they get to hang on to a hell of a coach who had every single player on that sideline ready to run through a brick wall for him, who had an entire fan base ready to do the same, regardless of whatever the outcome of the games where he was the, the coach. No one cared about the outcomes, but that Auburn team played with a different fire in those games. Yeah, Hugh Freeze has already been – he's already described Cadillac Williams as invaluable to the program. So 
Yeah. You like 100%. to see that. There's probably not going to be any bad blood there with the exchange. No. And they've also got a, a built-in head coach mm-hmm. if if shit goes south with Hugh Freeze. It's a brilliant move. Williams. It's a brilliant move. You the only it. thing is, is it is it too brilliant? Because does this shorten the leash for Hugh Freeze in the court of public perception? It could. If he goes out and he doesn't get off to a hot start, or if he does get off to a hot start and then he has a stinker of a game against, I don't know, fucking, you know, Tulane or something, you know, at that point, because of Cadillac's presence there, is everyone going to start clamoring for Cadillac Williams because he could be such an obvious replacement early on? Just given his history with the school and the fact that, you know, this is his first opportunity really to show what he can do at the head coach level. And the fact that he's got the pedigree of, I mean, it's funny that Cadillac Williams was in the position he was. He actually graduated with my cousin at Auburn. So I actually really like Cadillac Williams for that reason. It's also incredible how long he's been there. Yeah. And you know, he, like, he actually, how long ago that was. well, he, yeah, he had done his whole NFL career before he went back and graduated. So mm-hmm. That was cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, uh, of course, it, it is a great move. Um, it remains to be seen how it works out with, with, you know, Hugh Freeze, but given all of the controversy or controversy around him, but Con- controversy. controversy, but, uh, anniversary. Yeah. It's, um, I, I think it's, it's definitely exciting times in Auburn because it's been stale there for a while with, uh, with Gus Malzahn. So it's what the sec needs. Yeah. You know, totally. They're they're on a collision course with the Big Ten right now, mm-hmm. and you've got Oklahoma and you've got Texas coming in two powerhouse programs historically. They should be, um, maybe two programs that are a little too similar to where Auburn's at right now. But you you still need the blue blood SEC teams to be at the top, um, just like LSU was, you know, this season. Just like Tennessee came out of nowhere. Not saying the Tennessee's necessarily blue blood, but good to see them at the top. But Alabama, they're always there. We've talked them to death the last couple of weeks about, you know, what's going to happen with that program after this season um, and going forward. And are they still, you know, a perennial top four team or top one or two team, or are they maybe slipping a little bit? But Auburn needs to be up there. Auburn needs to be up there at least a perennial top 10, top 15 program, if not more. And I think, you know, does Hugh Freeze bring that? I don't think he brings that right away, but he's got the potential to bring it. So, It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in Alabama, in the state of Alabama. Yeah, this year has been uh, pretty crazy on the college football level in the SEC. I mean, you got Alabama, Tennessee, ten and two. And you go down to Clemson and LSU, ten and two and nine and three. This that that stuff you you wouldn't hear. I mean, then South Carolina just absolutely destroyed Tennessee this year. <laughs> they're, they're, they're the best team in the country. Yeah. Spencer over the last Spencer Rattler Spencer Rattler has just been you know knocking down doors. Um, and I'm, I'm actually really excited to see him in the NFL. Uh, I think he's eligible to be drafted next year. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Rattler from South Carolina. Anyway. Yeah. Um, you're right. Looking at the rankings, I mean, you don't see a three loss team until you get all the way down to Kansas state at 10. And that's, that's unheard of. Um, you've got big 12 teams up there. You've got Pac 12 teams up there. Um, Actually, only one pack. No, uh, yeah, actually, only one in the top ten. So, but you've got SEC up there. You've obviously got Big Ten up there. So it's it's really good as a whole for college football. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, looking at the rankings, Alabama's sitting there at six to ten and two. 
you know, we said there's there's no path for them. I still don't see it. They're not going to get in ahead of a, a one-loss Ohio State team. Mm-hmm. I think the committee made that clear with these preliminary rankings going into championship weekend. USC is there at four. They are in right now. It's pretty clear. You win on Saturday. You win the Pac-12. You're a playoff team, USC. Um, they've got the best quarterback in the country right now in terms of what, what he's doing on the field. Um, TCU, that is one where this is where it gets interesting, and this is what pisses me off. USC is a one-loss team. They lost to Utah, but the path is still there because they play Utah, so you avenge that loss, and they should probably be in at that point. TCU, you lose to Kansas State. They were 12 last week. They're 10 this week. You know, is that is that a big enough loss to the number 10 team in the country? Is that – is that a worse loss than Ohio State losing to the number two team in the country at home? You know, neutral site, Big 12 championship loss versus a home yeah, that's tough. a home rivalry loss. Is that enough to bump USC up to three, Ohio State up to four, and knock TCU out? I think if you're the committee, from a football standpoint, there's a lot to consider, but this isn't just about a football standpoint. Yeah. I think that you have to look at what do we want here. We're talking about television deals. We're talking about expansion. I think that that gets Ohio State in. completely biased. Poor, poor TCU. Poor, poor UCF a few years ago. Poor UCF. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're you're right though. That's that's kind of how it is. Who really cares about the Texas Christian Horned Frogs? You know, I one of the best mascots in the, in the absolutely. But I don't Still, care. Right. You know, I don't think no. about you at all. Right. When, it comes, much, when, we, yeah. when you think about TCU, it's you like, just oh, you don't think TCU played this season. That's that's nice for them. It's really good, but. Anyway, Saturday was a day, a day that I would like to forget. Yeah. Before Saturday, we had Thursday and Thanksgiving and an incredible slate of games on Thursday, followed up by another pretty damn good slate of games on Sunday. We, we love to shit on the NFL on this podcast just this season because it really hasn't been – you really don't have a ton of interesting storylines to follow. You don't have – you know, I mean, like – the best team in the league is the Eagles, and no one, you know, no one really cares. You don't have those stories that build and those historic rivalries that really are rivalries at the top of the division. Like that just doesn't seem to be happening this season. But last week's slate of games certainly gave us something to talk about. Um, week twelve for me was one of the best, you know, weeks that we've seen so far in the NFL this season. Well, we are right at the point now where these teams are vying for playoff positions. So when you've got a lineup like. Bills, Lions, Giants, Cowboys, Patriots, Vikings on Thursday, although Patriots-Vikings game, it didn't really care too much about that one. But Bills and Lions, that first game was phenomenal. 28-25 victory for the Bills. Lions played Josh Allen the best that they possibly could, but ultimately in the end, I think they just ran out of gas against a better team. Yeah, they they really did. I mean – 253 yards total for the game out of Josh Allen is incredibly low for him. Absolutely. In the way that that offense is built. Um, 24 completions on 42 attempts, you know, so the volume is still there for him. Um, it's not really a game plan thing going into Detroit and playing that. It's it's clearly an adjustment that the Lions were able to make on defense and make sure that, uh, that they, you know, kept Josh Allen in check, and they certainly did that. Well, they knew going into it. Detroit Lions run defense has been piss poor all year. So mm-hmm. getting Josh Allen's legs going definitely helped out in this one. 10 carries for 78 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Devin Singletary also very good on the ground. So their run game definitely helped them. 
Uh, they were able to take advantage of that, which obviously left Josh Allen very short on the, you know, finishing yardage. But either way, they win the game. That was a uh, that was a nice one. It was, it was Detroit a hell almost of a came way, back at the end. It was a hell of a way to wake up on Thanksgiving and realize that you don't have to do anything today because the mythical Christine. I was going to say because will Christine eventually <laughs> be a guest on this podcast. Did everything. It was Which great. Was phenomenal. It was great. It was a great way to break into the Bloody Marys at 9.30 in the morning on the West Coast out here and really just ease into the day and know that everything would be taken care of. Um, it was great. But unfortunately, my plan went to shit at, uh, at 1.30 here on the West Coast uh, because that's when the Giants played. So all of a sudden, it was my turn to take over. Um, what a game that was. Yeah, uh, Cowboys pulling this one out, 28-20. to 20, But the Giants and Danny Dimes, you know, he doesn't throw for, for very many yards, but he was very accurate this game. And Saquon Barkley didn't really run that much in this one. No, that was surprising to see. Um, you always seem to get those frustrating games with Saquon where he just doesn't, like, I don't want to say that he doesn't show up, but maybe he's banged up or maybe – not this you know, year. He's been killing it this year. He, yeah, he has been. I thought Years it past, back. it's been, you know, the the injury the injury question mark. When's it going to happen? But this year, he's mm-hmm. been phenomenal. And I, maybe it's a short week. I, who knows? Could but be. It's, I was excited for the running backs in this game with Saquon for the Giants. Zeke going on Thanksgiving for the Cowboys. That's always, you know, a lightning rod situation. Tony Pollard backing him up the kind of season that he's had playing behind Zeke. <laughs> parallel with Zeke, however you want to, you know, rank that Dallas backfield. Um, But yeah, that was, it was surprising to see Saquon not really take over. It was really good for me to see Ezekiel Elliott put him 92 yards and a tub because he got me points. Yep. (laughs) I wasn't sure I should play him this week, but I did. So that running back situation in Dallas is going to be interesting because, you know, Jerry Jones refuses to uh, cede Tony Pollard to the the 1A role, which I don't think he can yet because he's had some incredible games, but a lot of those came with him being the main guy and Elliott on the sidelines. But when Zeke does play, he, you know, and is given the the carries and and 50-50 split instead of, you know, Tony Pollard getting 70% of the carries in a game. He takes advantage. 16 carries for 92 yards, 5.8 average, one touchdown. He's still their goal line guy. He, and he's their, you know, he's red zone goal line guy. guy. So that's, um, you know, I, I'm really interested in seeing next year, especially with fantasy, uh, you know, purposes, how that's going to shake out. Because From, they they extended Elliott for several years. He's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. So, but Tony Pollard, I mean, you can't just – Ignore that. No. You have two incredible running backs, and then on top of it, your receiving core is is great. So what what's the issue with the Cowboys moving forward on offense? I don't think there is one. From an X's and O's standpoint, here's where I think Zeke has an advantage. Okay, I think it starts with Dak Prescott. I think that there's a comfort zone there, and I think that that goes all the way back to Zeke's ability Ability. <laughs> ability Ezekiel Elliott, his ability, his ability as a pass blocker and his natural instincts as a, pla- a, a pass blocker. <laughs> Sound it up. Damn. We'll, we'll get there. No, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, this season, a lot of people are saying that his pass blocking has taken a step back. Um, 
I don't see it. I think the pass blocking as a running back is more instinctual, and I think that you see that. That's what extends guys' careers mm-hmm. in the backfield is their ability to pass block. Dak Prescott, we know all about the injuries. I think that there is, you know, whether it's tangible or not, I think that there is a comfort level there with Dak Prescott, and I think that that goes all the way up to Jerry Jones, obviously, as, as a very hands-on owner and the GM of this Cowboys team. I think that that's something that he's not going to take for granted with Zeke either, and maybe he doesn't trust Tony Pollard a whole lot yet in that regard. At the very least, I think he wants to see more off the field, non is no side of it. I have it on very, very good authority that every single Monday morning, Jerry Jones is on his yacht somewhere in the Gulf of Texas, and of course, he is. He's eating shrimp cocktail, and he's he's in the morning. He's yeah, wow. in the morning. That's balling. He's almost entirely nude. And, <laughs> and he I didn't has, need that visual, but all right. Yep. He he has a vodka spritzer in one hand, and in his other hand, he has nothing until one of his lovely assistants walks up and rolled up in a champagne glass is a scroll with that weekend's take from tickets to concessions to merchandise. And at the very bottom of that P&L report at the total merchandise sales line, the number one leader is still going to be Zeke Elliott jerseys. And as long as, as long as almost in the nude shrimp cocktail, Monday morning, Jerry Jones gets that rolled up scroll in that champagne glass that says Zeke Elliott, that number 21 Jersey. I don't think you're going to see a whole hell of a lot of Tony Pollard. That's just from my sources. What have you? Jerry Jones loves <laughs> Zeke Elliott is what I got from all that. That's, so. that's the big takeaway, and I think that we don't have to dispute that. No. Uh, Dallas wins that one 28-20. to 20. They advance to 8-3, and, and the Giants fall to 7-4. and four. That was a game that they really wanted to win. Um, moving on to the last uh, Thanksgiving game. This one was kind of... And we've all been well fed and tripped to things. Yeah, yeah. We're falling asleep during this right. one. We're we're you know having our sixth, seventh whiskey drink at this point. Um, Patriots and Vikings. Vikings win this one 33 to 26. I'm not shocked at all. I think the Patriots have a have a big identity problem moving forward. Six and five this year. Don't really have a quarterback. I mean, Mac Jones, he actually had a good game, but this year he's been very inconsistent. He did, he did have a good game. He, I was he, shocked looking at that stat line. Yeah, he had a really good it did, game. It but did not feel like that watching that game. I no, was like, wow. No, but, um, you know, some of the bigger stories there is their backfield. you got Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. They've been, you know, at the beginning of the year, you saw Ramondre Stevenson have all this hype. Like, he's going to be the number one guy, and Damian Harris actually – put up touchdowns in the first two weeks of the season, you say to yourself, well, he had 14 touchdowns last year. I'm not entirely sure Ramondre Stevenson's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Damian Harris pulls his hamstring out two weeks. Ramondre Stevenson steals his job and has been an outstanding pass receiver. I'm sorry, pass rusher. Receiving <laughs> rusher. Receiving rusher. Yeah, Jesus. All those rushers that receive. The alcohol has taken its effect. And – He's sixty percent through the white. Cloth. No, 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 no. One, one hundred percent. It's gone. One through the white cloth. Yeah, I'm not a big drinker. Anyway, uh, going forward, though, I mean, yeah, they, the Minnesota Vikings nine and two this year. Did you see that this year at all? No, I mean it, it, it's the same conversation that we have every year with with any Kirk Cousins team. It's like you kind of settle for Kirk Cousins. 
And then all of a sudden he comes out as like this extremely reliable NFL quarterback. Yeah. Justin Jefferson, everyone knows he's an incredible talent. I don't think anybody had him as being, you know, pretty much the best receiver in the league. Um, he is, in my opinion. You know, Dalvin Cook is always going to do what he's what he does out of the backfield, but I mean he's he was dog shit. <laughs> he was. He's having a good season. Yeah. He's not having a typical Dalvin Cook season, but that offense just cannot be stopped. A lot of that has to do with Dalvin Cook's usage too. You know, the last couple of years he's had the issue with his shoulder, so they've been mm -hmm. having uh, usage issues with him, kind of trying to give Alex Madison some more of the load. Um, not use Dalvin Cook in situations where they don't need to. Um, you know, he's very capable of getting you know those two yards on third down, but maybe go with Madison instead, so he's not killing his his shoulder every time he runs into that pile but um that's a reason why he's had kind of a down year compared to years past but he's been healthy and you know he's on the field and that's been his biggest issue is staying on the field so um good for the vikings i hate the vikings personally as a packers fan but <laughs> it is pretty interesting to see that i had i did not think they would be nine and two this year um given all of the question marks around you know dalvin cook and and his injury issues and is you know was Justin Jefferson going to repeat his his season he had last year? Um, then they went at the deadline and added T.J. Hawkinson. So I mean, this is gonna this is gonna be a good playoff team. They're certainly built for the playoffs. I, I was just gonna say that you know there's there's really not many question marks surrounding this team at all. And sitting there at nine and two, you know, this deep into the season, heading into December this weekend, there's they've they've kind of checked all the boxes for me. Yeah, so the Vikings on that last Thursday night game defeat the Patriots 33 to 26. 26. Yeah. There it is. I'm scrolling, man. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We're pro we're pros here. I didn't put it in the notes because I don't have to. No. But that was that was just one of eleven games that finished within one score this weekend. And I mean that. And plus two overtime, two overtime games. games. Yeah, one game between the Chargers and the Cardinals that probably could have been an overtime game if Sean Payton and his massive balls didn't decide to go for two. That was crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, Sunday. I mean, everybody is recovering from the day that was Saturday. Certainly, Ohio State fans are. And Sunday is just you know Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend is winding down. Maybe the family's leaving town. Maybe you finally have a chance to you know catch your breath and God forbid sleep in a little bit. And then all of a sudden, this slate of Sunday games in the NFL just hits you in the face, and you're like, "Well, we're not we're not slowing down yet. That train's rolling right through this station onto the next one. We're on the express. We're on the express for Sunday." This has been this last Sunday has been probably one of the best football Sundays this season. Um, just given the caliber of the games, um, the quality rather, uh, not very many bad ones you know we've been used to the last few weeks seeing some really bad games i mean 49ers shut out the saints saints and Niners, uh, bad game. alvin kamara could not figure out how to hold on the football but uh chiefs and rams i would say that was a bad game that i watched a lot of that i was i was nonplussed yeah at best it was a nonplus game <laughs> very perplexing um yeah as far as the let's touch on the other games first before we go into overtime games because those okay. two were were the biggest ones so uh Texans and Dolphins Dolphins won 30 to 15 nothing there you know to a tongue of Aloha just ripped apart the Texans but yeah. that was still fun to watch there was still entertainment value with that 
I didn't watch it. So I had I, red zone on, and it seemed like they were going to that game way more than they should. They did bench Davis Mills, which is interesting. You know, this was the guy that's supposed to be. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, Davis Mills, you don't hear that name often, especially no. as, you know, someone who has a future or a prospect in the NFL. But yeah. he was very, you know, highly thought of at the draft. And he just, you know, he's a Stanford guy. He's very tall. Um He's good in the pocket. The problem is there's not a lot of talent with Houston. They have, you know, you, they got their running back, their rookie running back and Damian Pierce, your your rookie wide receiver and Nico Collins, and that's your future. Uh, Brandon yeah, Cooks, Brandon Cooks, they weren't able to move at the deadline, which I kind of understand why. It would have cost them over $23 million in dead cap to make yeah. that move. But Texans are going to be uh, are pretty bad for a while, so it's a good thing they were able to move Deshaun Watson out when they could. Um, regardless, that was not a good game, uh, no matter what Justin says about uh, it being entertaining. I mean, Tungvaloa only had one touchdown. It can't be that entertaining. We're used to seeing him throw like, you know, four, five, six touchdowns a game. West Coast <laughs> offense. But, um, yeah, okay. So Texans and Dolphins, 30-15. to 15. Uh, Bears and Jets, 31-10. Still an entertaining game. Mike White goes off 22 for 28. Your boy, Garrett Three, Wilson, dude. 315 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, Garrett Wilson's got two of them. Garrett Wilson, I mean. Probably I mean, like 27 points on my bench. <laughs> See? Yeah. I like that. Didn't have to start him, but wish I did. Yeah, that that was a good one. That was another one where, you know, I had red zone on. I was flipping back and forth on Sunday ticket. Lamp was here. Um, yeah, Lamp. you know, we very we, exciting stuff. There, there was a lot of really good games where you you look at it and you're like, okay, you know, Jets have the storyline. Uh, Benching Zach Wilson, everybody wants to know what Mike White's going to do, and he absolutely goes off. So, interesting one to follow there. Falcons Commanders, um, a close game, thirteen to nine. Two, I mean, I was going to say two bad teams, but the dog shit teams. And, they're seven and five. So I don't care. They're dog shit. That teams. entire NL East NL. There, I did it. NFC East uh, <laughs> division is is insane. Did you see this thing? I, you just said the the Commanders are seven and five, and I laughed because did you call I, them the Commanders. The Commanders? No, I said the Commanders. <laughs> okay, all right. I uh, it's fine. Um, Maybe that's what they should do next. You know, Taylor Heineke. I saw this the other day. He he buys a pair of Jordans that are custom to the color scheme of the team that he beat that week so they have i think he's got four wins or five wins as quarterback taylor heineke he has a pair of like green and gold um uh jordans and then he's gonna get a red and black pair for the falcons that is like the football team equivalent of like putting ears on a necklace or something (laughs) i'm sorry i kind of like that i I think it's it's really cool it's a little twisted Cause it's not like, I mean, you do something like that when you, you kind of want to like, you got an ego problem, I guess, but no, Kirk Cousins he, just takes his shirt off. On yeah, the exactly. He but t- Taylor Heineke is just collecting things for himself. You know? I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. That's I cool. like him better. I still don't like the football team, but I like Tyler Heineke a little bit better than I did uh, two minutes ago. So thank you for sharing that. Did have some positives for Washington in that game. Uh, Brian Robinson, who we all know, got shot in the leg. He got shot in the leg and came back like three weeks faster than it took Keenan Allen to come back from a hamstring. Yeah. That's amazing. He put up 20 points on my bench. Shout out Brian Robinson. Roll Tide. 
Yeah, 18 carries, 105 yards, no score, but anytime you can uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. bust he off hit, runs hit several, at 5.8 yards a clip, you're, you're doing pretty well. plays for him. Yeah, so Falcons and Commanders, 19 to 13. Are we just going to do the whole rundown? I, um, I was just going to run through each game real quick. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, we don't have to do Jaguars, Ravens. Jag- Jaguars won somehow. Well, that was 27 20. That I, was another game that was like last minute, like, you know, holy shit. I know, but what, it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been. No, but, it shouldn't have been. Uh, Lamar Jackson, pretty decent on the ground, 254 yards. Yeah, before he. Decides to go ape shit on Twitter and yeah, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that, Lamar. Um, it's not going to work out well for you. But Jaguars were able to uh, pull that one out. Trevor Lawrence, probably the best game he's had all season. Twenty nine for thirty seven, three hundred twenty one yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, a, a a bevy of of running backs now. He's got. In the run game, after all the trades they made at the deadline, moving uh, and probably James Robinson, the, and, probably the best names in the league. When you look at, oh you know, yeah, Joe Michael Hasty, Snoop Connor, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Travis E T N. He's really cool. So fantastic future for merchandise in Jacksonville. Totally, Jerry and, Jones is ordering up another shrimp cocktail. If they don't there. relocate to like London or Mexico City or something. Um. All right. So. We, there's other games too. Uh, who other games happen? They, they, well, who cares? Oh well. What actually, else is in the old show notes here? I do want to talk about. It. Well, what what else is in the show notes? Go ahead. Well, no. What what, what would you? Well, we're just going over NFL stuff, and we're I was I, the Eagles Packers man. Oh, so, here we go. So this game, as you all know by now, all two of you that listen, I'm a Packers fan, and this year, go for it. I'm back. Actually, could you? <laughs> Can you grab me another white claw? Sure. I, I need something to sip for this. Do you want uh, one of the? Do you want a lukewarm pineapple? No. Do you want a, a cold? cold? Just whatever's cold. This is kind of cold. I think Perfect. Crack it. It's been in there for what? Like an hour? Probably. Yeah, that's fine. Because we have to keep talking about. I'm gonna bust open a pineapple white claw. Jacksonville Jaguars. Because I'm really cool. Forty minutes. Justin is gonna pour his whiskey. And I'm yeah. going to continue hydrating. I just tried to twist the top off. I already opened it. Oh, this is warm. Uh, the top is warm, but if you feel the bottom, it's cooler. Yeah, so it's, you just got to drink it faster. It's warm. And then get to the bottom of it, and then you're fine. But like oh, you were man, saying, speaking of getting to the bottom of things, we're going to get to the bottom of the Packers right now. Well, I don't even know if we can, but okay. I, I'll do my best. Well, I was proud of that segue. But. It was a good segue. The problem I have okay. – well, first of all, Aaron Rodgers, his, his thumb is broken. He can't fucking throw the ball. So, so on top of having no receivers to throw to other than Christian Watson, uh, there's no way Aaron Rodgers can be as effective as he has been you know, in years past. That's hard. He pretty much has been injured all year. He suffered that injury in like week four or five yeah. so, mm-hmm. or six, somewhere between four and six. So, however – you, you, you hear me say this. You don't hear any, you know, anger or resentment in my voice because I like Jordan Love. I think Jordan Love looks really good. And that shouldn't shock anyone given the fact that he has sat behind Aaron Rodgers for two years now. He, Rodgers did the same thing with Favre. Yeah. I think this is like – Favre did the same thing with Jesus. And <laughs> I think this is the playbook. Yeah, Favre did the same thing <laughs> with Bart Starr, you know. So – um. I think that uh, this loss 
was expected. I mean, I had no expectations of going into Philadelphia facing a nine and one Eagles team coming off of a, a tough loss to beat a, a a fledgling four and seven Packers team that has just showed no signs of life other than Christian Watson, the aforementioned rookie wide receiver from North Dakota State, Christian Watson. This guy is outstanding. Only four receptions, but 110 yards and a touchdown. This kid's speed is elite. I can't wait to see what he can do uh, next season, whether that's un- with Rodgers or Love under center. Um, I think that the future is bright with the receiving core, despite um, not really having any receivers this year. You've got Christian Watson. You've got Romeo Dubs. Those two guys are going to be the one-two receiving core for years to come. They look very good. They've looked good in practice. They just haven't really had the chances until – I mean, Robio Dubs did get hurt. So he's kind of he's, – he's just hurt. But when he does play, he's outstanding. So going into the season, the question mark was, all right, you traded away Devontae Adams. You have fucking Alan Lazard and nothing else. Randall Cobb. Okay. Yeah. And that's it. Ram is, yeah. You go out, you draft a couple of receivers, and those guys are actually pretty decent. They're raw. It's going to take some time for them to, to develop. But I think you have your guys in Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs at, at, at wide receiver one and two. So this is finally a receiving core that fans of Green Bay can be excited about instead of the always, you know, the – Every year it's, it's always the same always thing. Always in the draft, take a wide receiver, get Aaron Rodgers some, for some help. You think that that problem may already be solved. It could be. I mean, it's really tough to say, but the fact that these raw rookies are having this much success in a couple of games. I mean, Christian Watson actually looked really good in week two, but he had a couple of big drops. And then he, you know, he had some hamstring issues and was out for a couple of weeks here and there. So it's tough when you're a rookie trying to move up the depth chart, um, especially as a receiver. But it just hasn't been as difficult in Green Bay because they don't have any. But, um, the, the thing that I just can't understand with the Packers is their utilization of Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon at the same time. Yes. Going into the season, again, it's no really, Devontae Adams. It's really fun for fantasy owners. No, rece- no I receivers. I didn't mess with it, but I – yeah. Yeah. Well, me as an Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon owner. So you messed with it. <laughs> no. Well – Aaron well, Jones has been times, Aaron yeah. Jones has been my keeper for keeper running back for the last this is the third year. So I wanted to draft AJ Dillon, but someone else did, and then they cut him a couple weeks ago, and I took him because he's my he's gonna be my contingency plan if Aaron Jones, you know, hurts himself. But we gotta f- get a fantasy expert on here one of these days. Yeah. I think I know a guy. We gotta figure that out. Anyway. Might have, in fact, we might have him on next week. Um <laughs> I think that. Going forward, the Packers have to figure out what they're going to do with their offensive line. Aaron Rodgers has not had enough time to throw this year, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that their offensive line is either aging or they're just the talent level isn't there. So you take a look at the left side, David Bakhtiari. He has been the guy on the left side of the offensive line for several years now. But Injuries have caught up with him, and unfortunately, I I think he's going to be done very soon. Whether it's you know next year, this off, even this off season, could be an option for him. Um, 
that opens up moving Elton Jenkins from left guard to left tackle. And that leaves you with no solid center, no solid right guard, and no solid right tackle, all of which are, you know, rookies and and 40-year-old guys. So they're going to have to look hard in the draft to, to fixing that offensive line because if Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be the guy going forward and Jordan Love is, is going to take over, which remains to be seen, I'm not sure one way or another if that would happen. I would think Aaron Rodgers, you know, would have more of a chance with a healthy thumb, but who knows? The, the, the Packers front office has done some crazy things the last few years that nothing is off the table. Um, but they're, they're going to have to address that offensive line because the big issue is Aaron Rodgers has zero time to throw. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's – I mean, he's still, he's still coming off of a, a 39-attempt performance against Tennessee uh, just last week, uh, 24 for 39, 227 yards, two touchdowns through the air. Not that bad. Week before against Dallas, overtime game. 14 of 20, so very efficient. So they're they're not letting him throw that much in that game, probably a smart decision. Still goes 224 yards on 14 completions, three touchdowns through the air. I mean, he's he's still finding a way to get it done, but you're right. Jordan Love looked look great too. Jordan Love had that play, that little route where he's he's kind of rolling out to his right, kind of, and then he throws back and he fights like right in the middle of the field late in the game. That was an incredible play. Took athleticism, took accuracy took timing with his wide receiver. He looked like a vet back there. And these are things, as a Packers fan, you've been waiting to see from Jordan Love, whether in practice or in preseason or any of his opportunities, to show flashes of this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you take a look at the draft a couple years ago when the Packers took him in the first round, and you're just like, why? You know, that was a wide receiver-heavy draft, and now you're starting to see why they kind of (laughs) uh, reached a little bit for Jordan Love. Yeah, absolutely. The the talent has, has always been there. Now you're seeing flashes of it coming together in the league. So good things to come. Even if he doesn't pan out earlier, I've been giggling in my head of this because you said love under center. So even if this doesn't pan out, that's a fantastic true crime novel that you can at least get out of this love under center anyway. That's actually what Jeff Saturday calls his team. <laughs> Jeff fucking Saturday. Hey, we addressed that. Man oh, yeah, my, 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 my bad. Jeff fucking Saturday. <laughs> Jeff fucking Saturday. Love <laughs> under center. Love under center. That's his biography. <laughs> um, you had mentioned that you wanted to touch on something from the NFL before, before we I move on. I to talk about the dang old Chargers. All right. Let's talk about them. Chargers. Okay. Chargers Cardinals. That's, that's my NFL 25, team. 25-24. That's my NFL team. Full disclosure. I had every expectation of going into this game and being absolutely steamrolled by a returning Kyler Murray. who yeah. had He's had enough time to unlock all of the COD, Modern Warfare 2, you know, Crates yeah. and everything. He's unlocked all that shit. He's beaten the game probably eight times by now at least. Um, I'm sure that his online ranking is in the top 100 in the world. So he's accomplished everything that he can. It's time to come back. To it's the time to come back yeah. and do your job, bud. Yeah. You need to get off the couch, speaking of fantasy experts, and come back and do your job. And that's what Kyler Murray, I expected him. He's on my fantasy team, so I was very conflicted in this game. But I expected him to have like, you know, a performance that was maybe all time, if not at least all season for him um, in this game. And his performance maybe didn't really kind of live up to it. 18 of 29, only 191 yards through the air. It looks even worse on paper now that I looked at it and it worked live. Um, He did throw for two TDs and uh, he rushed for one. So Justin got his fantasy points. Very excited about that. 
Um, on the other side of the ball, on the other side of the ball, on the other side of the field, um, also with the football as a quarterback, you have Justin Herbert, who's electric to watch, um, but he's throwing to nobody. The Chargers had four wide receivers on their entire roster. As you say, like they have the guys, they're just all hurt <laughs> active yeah. for this game. But this, yeah, that's why I thought that they were going to get steamrolled. But I mean, this was a hell of a football game. This was like they were in the trenches, battling back and forth. It was close all the way through. Um, 14 uh, to 17 at the half. Um, really good, clean football in the first half. And in the second half, kind of lulled a little bit there. But holy shit, that fourth quarter was incredible. And it ends with Brandon Staley marching his Charger team down the field, making all the right calls at the right time, putting it in the end zone, which you don't usually see. Um, Chargers fans are used to seeing interceptions thrown late, like what happened, uh, I think it was just last week, late interception from Justin Herbert. Um, you're used to seeing, you know, some baffling play calling. You're used to seeing going for it on fourth and something, maybe in an area of the field where you shouldn't go for it and they get burned. Uh, Brandon Staley has lost games on fourth downs multiple times. I won't say several. I will say multiple because I can recall two. Um, but I know there's more than that that have been controversial. He's a coach that's always been very aggressive, going for it on fourth, on fourth down, going for it in areas of the field where maybe you wouldn't see that. And not only does he orchestrate – and he's not the one that calls the plays, by the way, for the Chargers. That's Joe Lombardi, who has had his own, you know, shortcomings as an offensive coordinator after being the quarterback's coach um, in New Orleans. But for once, late in the game, on the road, a game that you have to win to stay alive in the playoff picture in a very competitive uh, AFC West, you finally saw a drive come together, end up in the end zone. And then Staley says, you know what? Staley's throwing up the, the Longhorns. He's throwing up two immediately. Like, the whistle really hadn't even blown yet, and he's already storming. That, was his, that was his plan. He's got two in plan. the air. Yeah. We were going for two. We were ending no this football what. game right now. Yeah. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, uh, no. Like, we don't. now you're going to blow it. I thought that that was going to be another call that Charger fans were going to look back and be like. Another Chargers yeah. call. Yeah. Another, like, and of course, it's it's the right move. You're on the road. You don't want to go to overtime, especially in the NFL. You're talking about a coin toss, basically. Kyler Murray, we already talked about, accountable for three touchdowns. You don't want to put the ball back in his hands. You've got all the momentum. Why not go for it? They they call the perfect play. Of course. All the numbers show that that's the play. I was sitting here, and I was telling mythical podcast guest Christine, I was saying they ran a play earlier in the year that did not go well. Um, it might have been against the 49ers, but – their tight end, uh, Gerald Everett, um, they they ran him up, and he it's a mesh play. So he's supposed to sit right at the goal line, and he's supposed to kind of play just off of whoever's covering him, whether it's a linebacker or a safety coming down. And if that guy starts coming down, he's supposed to turn around and kind of sit in the zone coverage early. And if that guy's not coming down, he's supposed to run it out all the way to the sideline and it's it's almost like a corner route, but you're you're it's like a hard out. And him and Justin Herbert were not on the same page on that play on that day. And Justin Herbert ended up throwing him throwing it behind him, and he goes and he takes it back for a pick six. And that was basically the ball game. But it wasn't the same play, but it was the same feel. You had Gerald Everett, and he goes up and he runs a little out in. It was almost like a Z route. And he goes and he just kind of sits down in the soft spot in zone coverage 
right on the goal line, and Justin Herbert puts it right in his numbers. And it was beautiful. And that, to me, that play in that situation to win the ballgame on the road, that was redemption for Gerald Everett. That was certainly redemption for Justin Herbert in that particular situation, not that Herbert needs to be redeemed or anything at this point in the season. But most of all, that was redemption, I think, for Brandon Staley to have the guts and to call that play, goal line play to Gerald Everett, that was still kind of a feel play a little bit, that showed some balls. So that was that was fun to watch. Yeah, and that's a game that Kyler Murray really wanted to win, you yeah. know, because he's just been struggling all year long, whether it's the injuries or not have you know, DeAndre Hopkins just came back, but without him, you know, it's someone else going down. James Conner, other than, you know, this game, he's been generally ineffective. So it's been tough, tough season for Kyler Murray, and it gets even tougher with a with last a, a last home, second last loss. second home loss those yeah. suck i mean they're they're four and eight they're not going anywhere they're they're one in i'm what really they're one and six at home Alex. yeah yeah that's <laughs> that's incredible shot. what does that mean for cliff kingsbury you know like those rumors are starting you know that he's they started he's talking got, about him this weekend you know in in your in your 2008 saturn view do you have seat warmers I do. You do. Okay. Believe it or not, yes. Do they have? It's probably the first year that they had seat warmers. Do they have? See, that's not where I was going with this at all. I was. I, you were gonna. You thought I was gonna say no. I because yeah. my car is from two thousand eight. I have it down in my notes. That I'm is a thing. I'm crossing out no and yeah. writing yes. Make sure warmers. you write in your spreadsheet that I do. Do they have two settings, a high and a low? They have three settings. Yeah. What setting would you say Cliff Kingsbury's oh, seat is currently sat on in his 2008 Saturn View? So his 2008 Saturn View currently has a short in the electrical that is causing the seat to just basically be on fire. So it's baking, it's, but yeah. for no reason, but for no real discernible his reason. His ass is red. It's on fire. Yeah. He needs a shrimp cocktail. <laughs> yeah. Well, he needs a lot more help is, is what he needs. Kyler Murray, his, uh, his franchise quarterback is now – Starting to get figured out. Future Oakland Athletic. No, yeah. I, I think they don't have the rights. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Kyler just decides. You know what? I could play a lot <laughs> well, more I'm video walking, games if I'm away. on the road. If I'm, I'm walking away from this two hundred million dollar contract, no, forget it. Let me go. Let me go hit some dingers. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that was my that was my NFL time. I wanted to talk about that game. That game was incredible. It was amazing. It was the game of the century for it me. It was a good NFL. game. Yeah. Um, I do not speak in hyperbole. I do not exaggerate. All that is true. Not a joke. So not a joke. Anyway, um, Monday night football, Jeff fucking Saturday. He almost pulled it out in the end. It wasn't it was exciting for all the wrong reasons. It seemed like nobody really wanted to win that game. Um we we don't really have to go back, you know, too much in depth about it because it's Oh, there's there's something I want to touch on. Touch on it. A lot of it has to do well. Okay. It's got fantasy ramifications, which, of oh, course, whoa, you know. Oh, yeah, tell the story. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, before <laughs> I even touch on that, it, just about this game in general, the picket to Pickens connection is going to be a thing. And it shouldn't be. You have two guys with the name Pick in their name, yeah. but somehow it works. Yeah, and somehow they're they're making completions and receptions. Yeah. They should be making interceptions. There should, there should be a Netflix <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, George Pickens, somehow the 11th receiver – chosen in the draft this past year and this guy is ridiculous in in all receiving categories among rookies he is the leader 36 receptions 510 yards two touchdowns along of 36 now that doesn't seem like a very 
long, long. But if you take a look at this guy's highlight reel this year, yeah, I mean, in, in today's NFL, that's pretty impressive. In in his highlight reel from just this season alone, which again, the first five weeks of the season or four weeks while Mitch Trubisky was quarterback, he was non-existent mm-hmm. on the score sheet. But now that he's actually getting, you know, playing time and starter reps, he's outstanding. And I think Kenny Pickett and George Pickens have a special connection that we're going to be seeing uh, help out the Steelers move forward from Ben Roethlisberger and Heinz Ward for years. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. It's 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 fun to watch. Kenny Pickett coming out of Pitt was electric, and a lot of people thought you know they they had him as being the first quarterback. Um, off the board, you know, for many, many months leading up to the draft. But, you know, he's he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's He was playing a pit. He didn't really see, you know, the elite defenses. Um, but still, you know, he he found a way to get it done at pit. He's finding a way to get it done for the Steelers. And I don't know. I mean, he's not really a franchise quarterback type but he almost feels more like like a more talented more dimensional Cole McCoy where like the football smarts are there the compete is there he'll find a way to get it done as long as he has serviceable receivers around him and I think George Pickens is way more way more than a serviceable wide receiver that we've seen thus far yeah and he's also not the only receiver they have on that team too they've got options you know Deontay Johnson mm-hmm. um uh, Pat Fr- Fryermuth, you know they've they've got a lot. Of, Kenny Pickett has you know got himself set up pretty well here. He wears um, gloves when he throws, but yeah, what can you do about whatever, that? You know, you know, eight games as a rookie this year, three touchdowns and eight interceptions, which not great, but you yeah. know, think about the team around him and the fact that he's just taken over in the middle of the season for a Mike Tomlin who probably you know could have let him start at the very beginning of the year. I mean, I don't know why you would want to try your hand with Mitch Trubisky knowing what you have, but Hey, I think that you had to just because he had started, he'd started in the league before he's a free agent mm-hmm. acquisition. So you have to see your, I get, I get you're that. thanking your owners for cashing or for signing a check and saying, Hey, thank you for trying to give me a nice gift for Christmas. It's like getting socks. You, you have to, you have to pretend that popped in. You have well, to pretend to like it for a minute. And it's like, oh, when grandma comes over, make sure you wear those nice socks, you know, that she got you. Yeah, you're trying to win football games. And, and when then- you're trying to enjoy fucking Christmas, <laughs> you don't want socks. Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to win football games. And I would think after the first or second preseason game featuring, you know, Mitchell Trubisky, you were going to move on and just go with Kenny Pickett, who had been far superior in practice and, and preseason, you know. But either way, I digress. I don't. Either I way. really don't give a shit about Pittsburgh or the Steelers. I just – I'm going to hit you with this. George Pickens, number 14. Kenny Pickett, number eight. Yep. That's math. 14 minus eight. What's that? Gosh, six. Can't do math. The pick six connection. Wow. I'm that just it, happened. I'm coining that term. Yep. Live here on the Suspended Indefinitely podcast. The At pick six uh, 6.17 p.m. Write it down. Put it in the spreadsheet. Pacific Standard Time. Are we daylight. Are we, daylight? Oh, we're daylight uh, time. Sorry. Are we daylight? Are we, I, saving, I, or are we saving or are we just giving that shit away now? It doesn't matter. Okay. But doesn't matter. Let, let, me, let, me t- 
let me touch on the reason why I talk about this game okay. because ultimately, I mean, this game, this game doesn't mean anything except for you, Jeff fucking Saturday fans. Mm-hmm. But in my fantasy football league, oh yes, we had the most epic back and forth between uh, two teams that. Are the team names appropriate for the sponsors that we're trying to pick up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we have Jeff Wilson, who is the owner of OG of Fantasy. Well, yeah, it's not a great okay. name, but he's eleven and one this year. He's ten and one going into yesterday, right? OG. All right. So going into the fourth quarter, uh, he, he's he's rocking Indianapolis's defense after being down. I think he was down like he was down fourteen points going into. Monday night, and that was the only player left on the board. So was Indianapolis's defense yep. across the whole like match? Stamp and send it. Yeah. So he chooses to play Indianapolis's defense, and in the fourth quarter, he is down by point one one. It was like one one twenty five point two zero to one twenty five point one whatever whatever the math. Math. Whatever I can't the do math. Is. Whatever the math is. Uh, anyway. The touchdown that uh, uh, Pittsburgh scored at the end of the game, the last touchdown they scored, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe was the Benny Snell um, mm-hmm. rush. He then goes down by an entire point. It was like 126 20 to 125 20 or something like that. Then on the return, because we do return yards for uh, our defense special teams. Right, yeah. He ends up – they had a nice return on that yeah, last that's kick. That's the ST and the D slash ST. And that put him over novices. the edge, 126-25 to 125 points. On the return. You win – He wins by a point. You win a crazy week of fantasy football on a return on the Monday night game. That's incredible. That's that's pretty cool. That's the way you drive. So, and, you know, it sucks because this guy's 11-1. He's, he's just running – he's beat me twice. Just running the table, and it doesn't matter. It, I was really looking down. forward to him. It really doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter as long as, as you get into the playoffs. playoffs. Yeah, just have have a three good weeks in your golden. Sitting at eight and four. Yeah, I'm in third place. Yeah. I'm good to go. I'm yeah. happy with where I'm at. Bench but, your starters. Save them. Save them for the fantasy playoffs. <laughs> yeah, got to got to bench my guys. <laughs> yeah, so hydrated. Yeah, we could touch on that real quick if we want to. What do we What do we touch? On? Um, our teams. I mean, we got a second. My team, my team is six and six, nonplussed. Um, I left. You're in a uh, ten teamer, right? Yeah, I'm also in a. I'm in a ten teamer with no trades. What? Yeah, because the commissioner got sick of the ridiculous trade requests every single week. That everybody was unanimously tired. We have Allen in our league. I don't have to explain him. His name's Allen. Yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) And he's an A L A N guy. He's not like a. Well, that's that is He's, typically how you spell Allen. You well, wouldn't spell with an E. I'd respect him if he stretched it out a little bit, like an A L L E N. Yeah, okay. Like those Allens, they're not sure. like, like an Allen wrench. It's not that bad. At least it has a function. A L A N. You don't have a function. This guy, he would try to push through ridiculous trades. Like I would get two to three trades almost daily, like between Tuesday. And very early Saturday morning, because this guy's, I think he's in the Midwest. I don't care where he is. He would try to push through like the most ridiculous, like, yeah, I go, you know, I'll give you, like, I'm trying to think of a. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you my kicker for your wide receiver one. Yeah. Like, I'll give you Matt Prater 
like for fucking Debo I'll, Samuel. I'll give you Matt Prater and uh, TJ Hawkinson uh, for for Debo Samuel in Dallas's defense. Yeah, <laughs> no, dude. I don't. No. Does your league have um? Oh, what are they called? Um, vetoes. So like, do you guys yes, vote on trades? Vote on See, trades. that's stupid. You that's like that? that's dumb. Well, no. First of all, this league—I only play in one fantasy football. There are a lot of people who play in several leagues in fantasy I'm football. Only one too, yeah. A lot I mean, of people do that. It. Like, yeah. I have friends who play in like nine, ten leagues. I'm like, how yeah. do you do that? Thirty dollar buy-in. That's it. Yeah, I have exactly. <laughs> I have one league that I play with my friends that I've had since 2009. Mm-hmm. Never won it. I created the god blessed thing, mm-hmm. and I haven't won it. I've made the championship four times and I've <laughs> lost. But uh, regardless, that. Um, group of players decided early on. We're like, we're not going to have the commissioner have the ability to veto trades. Yeah, like the only time I can. Well, I'm not the commissioner anymore because I kind of quit and then came back That's a couple fine. years later. Yeah, but the new commissioner, Holy this guy Steve, fun. great guy. He uh, he decided that you know we weren't going to uh, have any kind of you know vetoes or anything. He would just. He would cancel the trade if if it was like if there's obvious collusion, you know. So so like so it if was like a, it was like a hammer approach. Like if someone was very obviously, you know. So Scott try, Scott or Seager, like, you know, was, the the, the taco gonna... of the league who hasn't you know won a game in seven weeks, which in our case last year was Kyle, and then he shows up with the Kyle. number one waiver claim one oh. week in week eleven to take you know the top well, guy who's dropped four letter names, Kyle and Alan and Alex. It's, it's always a problem. But uh, anyways, my point is just don't ever have trade vetoes because anytime you make a trade and anyone else in the league can vote on it, they're usually voting against it because they're saying to themselves, oh, well, fuck, I could have made it right, a better yeah. trade than that. That's okay, not trade. fair. <laughs> we had that. We also had a guy who didn't pay his dues as of like week six. Oh, yeah, I can't do that. Just out of a straight grudge because the draft time was changed to a time – that he didn't feel was very fair to him because he's in a different time zone. And he's like, oh, I can't do this. And it's like, it's your fantasy draft, dude. There's $30 on the line. Yeah. You have to make your draft. I don't care. And he felt he felt very, you know, unfairly treated. He felt slighted. Slight, that was the word I was going to say, spited. Yeah. And I'm no, that's a soft okay. You're close. You're close. There. Slighted. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he said, you know what? I'm just not going to pay for this league. So, week six. We had a fire sale on this team. <laughs> <laughs> See, now that's cool. Like that that is something that, you know That was cool. That's one of the quirks of, of a league with your friends that you've had yeah. for a while. Well, like, you you know fuck up. You know Zach, what? Zach, another another four letter name. Zach, you're out of the league. See ya. Jeez. Fire sale on your team. Everyone got a free bye week because he didn't have any players. <laughs> and uh, we all got to pick in reverse order in a text thread of who we wanted off his ex team. That's it awesome. It was fantastic. I got a brand new backup quarterback. We don't have very like I'm I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking about I'm like we don't really have any rivalries in our league. Like I'm just the guy who loses the championship every year. We have uh we have Troy who beat me in the championship last year after making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's been in the league since 2009. Never made the playoffs. <laughs> Makes the playoffs that's, last year, goes to the championship crazy. and fucking beats me. Jesus. And I'm just like, dude, like what do I got to do? What do you come that's, but, wow, that's like losing the game twice yeah. in a row. Fantasy football, it's always fun to talk about. Next week, we'll have Josh Fathalahi on. Hopefully. Front, well, yeah. I maybe. haven't asked him yet. He might I'll, talk, I'll, I'll talk to him. Talk him up. We'll, we'll, talk him up. We'll, we'll get him on talk here. Him He's done stuff for Roto-Wire. Roto-Wire. Yeah. Roto-Wire zone. 
He writes. He's uh, a guru. He's a, he's a fantasy football expert. So we'll touch more on he that wakes next up, week. He vapes and he fucking writes about fantasy football. And he fucks. Uh, well, yeah, I don't maybe. know. Maybe I have no idea. I haven't seen him in a long time. But um, cool. So yeah, let's move on from football and let's talk about things that no, I don't like. Hate this. I fucking hate but Europe. We have to talk about this. I hate Europe and I hate European sports. We've we've established a precedent on this podcast of mentioning a little Formula One. We're the only podcast um, that talks about very in depth Ohio State's offensive and defensive game plans and also touches on the current goings on in the formula one world. And that's the, the perfect podcast. <laughs> damn it, Alex. That's a tag that I'm not going to lose in week four. Okay. All right. So here we go. Okay. So let's, let's talk to it. Let's dive into, let's talk let's, to it. That's a, it now. No, that's a throwback to that Kyle video that we were. In the uh, yeah. Remember? The, Grand Slams, the home runs. Look it up on YouTube. Um, but yeah. Okay. So, Big news out of the Formula One world over the last couple of days. We touched on this. Again, this is something that we touched on. We did a lot of touching here. Um, Touch my white claw right now. There you go. We talked about Ferrari and the year that they had in Formula One, really the last several years that they've had in Formula One, and the underachieving that has gone on at that team. And Alex, just to break it down, yeah, explain this because Ferrari, they're the Yankees. Okay. They're, you know, from New York. Maybe <laughs> yes. No, maybe, you know, they're they're also like the Cowboys. They're they're the face of the league. If you ask anybody in the world about who races in Formula One and they, if they know nothing about Ferrari, it, they'll know Ferrari. They'll know the red cars. Ferrari started, they were they're, they're the only what team. What about uh what about Red Bull? Well, yeah. Is that one? They're, they're, I'm trying to remember from last summer when I watched that right F1 now. documentary on yes. Netflix. Red Bull has actually won the championship the last two seasons. Uh, they won it four years in a row with Sebastian Vettel um, from 10 through 13. Um, Red Bull is very much at the top of the sport. They spend at a very similar level to Ferrari. Um, before the, the cost cap, they would spend well north of $300 million per year developing a car to go fast. I think that's pretty fucking cool. That's why I enjoy this sport. Um, cool shit, yeah. I, I like I like the thinking behind. If you it. like cars, yeah. How much money can we throw at something just to make it go fast? I like that. Now we have a cost cap of one hundred forty-five million dollars. I mean, how can you operate in such poverty conditions? But one hundred forty-five million dollars is all that you're allowed to spend. Red Bull has Sick, found easy a way. NASCAR. <laughs> Red Bull has found a way to win the last two seasons, and Ferrari over the last two seasons they've built. A good cars this season especially they were winning races they were the money favorite early in the season over the first like five or six weeks five or six races in the season to win the championship and it wasn't even close how does ferrari you're the yankees you're the cowboys you're the face of the sport they've been they participated in every single formula one season since formula one existed in 1950 and they haven't won a championship since 2007. how does that happen well when it doesn't happen you have to make a change you have to make a change at the top. Mattia Bonotto, who Ryan and I talked about on this podcast, mm -hmm. he is finally out at Ferrari. See ya. He's gone. And it's a lot of fans are upset. A lot of fans are saying, hey, here's a guy who's been with the team for going on three decades now. He started in their engine department as an engineer. He eventually took over the engine department. He built the best engines in Formula One. He was there in the early 2000s during the Schumacher years. 
And in, I believe it was in 2017, after that season, he came to a head with the, at the time, team principal for Ferrari, an Italian gentleman, if you couldn't guess, named Maurizio Arriva Bene. Arrived well. Of course. He arrived great. He won races in his first year for Ferrari. And he, Arriva Bene comes from the world of Marlboro. He's a marketing guy. He is a cutthroat guy. And that did not sit well with the staff at Ferrari, Mattia Bonotto being amongst them. Bonotto went to the board and said, either I'm leaving and going to another team, maybe could have been Mercedes, we don't know. Or you're going to get rid of Arriva Bene. One of us is going. And the Ferrari board said, okay, Mattia, you've been here for 20 years at the time. We're going to make, we're going to get rid of Arriva Bene, but we're going to make you team principal if, if you know so well. And he said, okay. And it's, it's been disaster after disaster after disaster. And we've talked about this. We've talked about how their number one driver, Charles Leclerc, who is mm-hmm. like, he's the star that he's the Zeke Elliott, you know, he's, he's the face of the franchise. And he hasn't been very happy with Mattia Bonotto and some of the decisions that he's made because Charles is winning races early in the season. He's qualifying on pole. He's fighting for a championship. And his team principal is, he's not making the decisions himself, but he's overseeing a team of strategists that make horrible decisions in race and put Charles Leclerc further back in the field in the middle of the race than he needs to be through bad pit stop strategy or, you know, through team orders where Charles is asking to be let past his teammate who doesn't have a chance at winning the championship. And his team says, no, you can't pass your teammate. Just keep things as is. All those little things add up over the course of a season. And that's why we saw Max Verstappen and Red Bull win the driver's championship and the constructor's championship respectively. So it's a big deal. If you win the constructor's championship, first place versus second place for the team that builds the car. There's tens of millions of dollars on the line between first and second. So it's a big deal. So when you have somebody like Bonotto who doesn't live up to the potential and especially to the budget and the resources that Ferrari has, you lost to an energy drinks company two years in a row. What are you doing? Yeah. And Mercedes was dominant before that, but that's Mercedes. Yeah. That's one of the biggest, you know, car brands, not just Mercedes, but all the other brands that that they own. And that also that they work with all over the world. Like Mercedes, yeah, they should be at the top. Ferrari, you should be at the top. Red Bull, like, what is Red Bull? Like, you, you, they don't even make their own engines. They buy their engines from somebody else. So this is why Mattia Bonotto needed to go. It finally happened. The way that Ferrari put it, they said, we have accepted Mattia Bonotto's resignation. Oh, really? Okay. That's It was interesting how they phrased it. I think it gives some respect to Mattia. I'm not sure if Ferrari may have offered him a different position within the team, maybe going back to overseeing the engine department, maybe being a chief technical officer, which is a, I don't think Ferrari has one right now, but it's a role that a lot of teams have created. You have a chief technical officer or a chief designer or somebody that oversees the general Mm -hmm. design of the car, but they're not involved with the strategy. They're not involved with the drivers. They're not sitting there on the pit wall every single Sunday making the calls during the race. So we'll see what happens with Mattia, but he is out. This is huge news in the Formula One world. Um, so I wanted to mention it. It's it's almost similar to a Ryan Day at Ohio State situation. You're you're good. You're I, good. I, I can understand that. You can totally understand <laughs> that. You're good, but you're not quite there. Like you're not quite 
you know, you're not where you should be with your resources. Sure. So Ferrari makes a change, and we'll see what what happens. And they haven't announced that yet. They've they've announced that they've accepted his res his resignation. Yeah, he is effective contracted December thirty first. December thirty first. Yeah, all these European contracts, like contracts in Europe, are crazy because in Formula One, and you see this in soccer, you can sign pre contracts. Mm -hmm. Say okay, when this current contract ends or is terminated, then this other contract will actually kick in. And like the hell, yeah. It's like all right. It would be like you know, it would be like Aaron Judge in the middle of last season being like, "Yeah, I'm signing a pre-contract with the Angels. So when I'm done playing for the Yankees this season, I'm next season I'm gonna go play." It's like what? But that happens in the Formula One world. So no, no tampering laws. No tampering no. laws. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's weird that you would see like Mattia Bonotto say, "I'm resigning," but it's not effective for another month. So I'm still going to hang around and do fuck all. Do what exactly? What yeah. I do? And it's a very crucial time right now. You're designing your car for next year. They go testing in February. So like you've got, you've only got a few months left before that car hits the track and you better fucking figure it out. Are they making any changes with drivers this year? No changes with the Ferrari drivers. They have their golden boy, Charles Leclerc. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm sorry. No, you, you I don't had, mean to cut you off, but. For whatever reason, was Leclerc on another team last year or two years ago? Two years ago, he was, uh, or maybe three years ago now, he was with um, who, who was Alfa the Romeo. That's right. Who was the driver that moved? Oh, no, it was Red Bull. Wasn't it Verstappen who went to Red Bull? Or Verstappen has been with Red Bull since he was a 14-year-old. There was one Cardinal. driver. I don't know if it was like Pierre Gasly. You're, or you're thinking of Sebastian. Well, okay. Did, he, there did was... he come up and then go down, per se? Yes. Okay, Pierre Gasly was in the in Red Bull's junior program. Mm -hmm. and I'm just was, I'm looking at these names and yes, I know there was a guy who he was racing for a team called Toro Rosso, which mm -hmm. is Red Bull in Spanish. Um actually Italian, sorry. Red I think it's the same. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, pizza's fantastic. But it's all from Latin. They they brought him up to Red Bull to the main team and he did not perform at all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then in that same season they demoted him back down to Toro Rosso to the B team. So still a Formula One team, but you go from Red Bull and potentially winning races to going to Toro Rosso and finishing maybe seventh or eighth on a good day. So that's the that dynamic there. But Ferrari, they have the same thing with Alfa Romeo. They have an agreement with them that says, hey, you help us develop some of our drivers and we'll give you engines for free. So Alfa races Ferrari engines and they have a technical agreement. And in turn, one of the seats at Alfa Romeo has historically belonged to Ferrari. It doesn't anymore, uh, but at that point when Charles Leclerc was at Alfa, it did. So he goes to Alfa for a couple of years. As a rookie, he gets his feet wet in Formula One, gets the feel of the team and being around and you know working in that environment and the pressure. Then he goes to Ferrari and all of a sudden he's not a rookie anymore, he's ready. So, so that's kind I of think that was him then. Yeah, that I was thinking of there was yeah. something from that documentary. I remember a driver. Yeah, that's was well, it Leclerc? They they spun it that way in that documentary. Yeah. Leclerc moving from Alpha to. I'm 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 just looking at the standings for uh -huh. for this year, and I'm I'm recognizing some of these names. You know? Yeah, it wasn't a great year. It wasn't competitive at the end. Um, it was always going to be an, an interesting year because we have brand new regulations and brand new cars, top to bottom. Um, Usually a set of regulations is around for four to six years, and then they're totally overhauled. This was one of those years where it's totally overhauled. So 
that's kind of what we saw. But Ferrari did not live up to that challenge, did not develop a car. Well, actually, they, they did develop a car that was extremely competitive early on. They didn't continue to develop that car throughout the season. They certainly made some questionable strategy calls, and all of it ends with the team principal, and that's Mattia Bonotto being out at Ferrari. We have to see who they're going to get. There's a lot of interesting names floating around. Lamp might be the next team principal at Ferrari. Yeah, Lamp wants to drive. Um, Frederick Vasseur is the current team principal at Alfa Romeo. So he is a name that is heavily, heavily rumored. Uh, he's French. In the world of Formula One, Italians being headquartered in Marinello, being Ferrari, they really want somebody who's Italian to be in that team. So Frederick Vasseur, I think he would be a fantastic team principal. Um, he is responsible for a lot of Charles Leclerc's junior career. Um, so him and Charles get on great. Um, so that would be kind of Charles, somebody who he would vouch for. But he's not Italian. He doesn't have, you know, it would be like the Montreal Canadiens who we're watching on this television right now, hiring a coach that doesn't speak French. Like it's, it might be the best option, but it wouldn't sit well with, you know, the staff and the fans and everything. So yeah, they don't do that. But Vasseur, certainly somebody who is uh, being discussed. He's probably the most heavily rumored favorite. Another guy is Ross Braun. Ross Braun was at Ferrari during the Schumacher years. A lot of people credit him directly for being the guy. Um, and you can read about this right now on Long Balls and Loggers, actually. Um, I did a story about it. Check it out. But you can he – was, he was credited as the guy of creating that environment at Ferrari that let everybody do their job. Um, a lot of people said that he helped create an umbrella over the team where he would help deal with the board and the CEO and the investors and the external pressure. And he would let the drivers drive and the mechanics work and the engineers engineer. And he himself has a very strong engineering background. This is a cool story, Alex. So he leaves Ferrari. He's out of the sport for a year. They bring him back in 2009. And he's the team principal at a team called Braun. Because his name's Ross Braun. Classic. He bought Honda. Honda left the sport pretty abruptly. So he bought Honda's operation. He bought whatever kind of half-assed car they had developed at that point. He bought their facilities that they were using. He bought their um, their R&D um, and their you know research and development and everything that they had done on that car at that point. And everyone's thinking, okay, this is Ross Braun just kind of wanting to get back and you know have his own team and everything. He won the fucking championship that year from nowhere. He developed Damn. he developed an aerodynamic concept that nobody else had ever thought of. He found a loophole in the rules and he exploited it. And Jensen Button is the 2009 world champion because of it. And Braun. It's like Isaac Gian in the 2005 White Sox. Exactly. Yeah. It's just it's we're crazy. making comps here. We are. We're making comps. Brian Day and Team Bonato. Here we go. But that's that's what it was. It was a crazy story. Uh, Keanu Reeves is making a documentary about it um, that I believe he wants to get out toward the end of next year. If not, it'll be uh, in early 2024, but that'll be one that will tell that story and hopefully more people learn it because it's cool. I only care about Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. When we're talking about movies. <laughs> February 23rd yeah. or something. Yeah. Cocaine, mm -hmm. Bear, find Cocaine Bear. Theater or streaming service near year. We're not, we're not sure. You got to check it out. Ray Liotta's last movie of his life, Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear. Bear who ingested a lot of cocaine in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, in 1985. 
house is all about this. And I read it. I read the story today, and I was, I was, uh, I was surprised that such plus. a thing. You were plus. I, was I, plus. I was plus. I couldn't believe that such a story existed that I had never heard of before. And I was literally in Kentucky. I was in Louisville like a month ago. So see, I had heard of this story. There's, there's, there's all these memes about it. Hmm. Okay, so the story for both. See, of I didn't see is, any memes, and I'm a big meme guy. So for, for I'm listening. I'm getting another white claw. Sure. For Christine and for Ryan, who are listening to this, take your time. This story is going to take uh, fucking ever. Yeah. So there's there is a true story. A bear in the wilderness, um, in the north of Georgia, what, 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 like 20 miles south of the Tennessee border. I think they said. Yeah. Alex is gone. Yeah. I'm. <laughs> what are you talking about? Fridge is right it's, there. Um, this bear stumbled on a bag of cocaine that was dropped out of an airplane as the airplane was crashing from a drug smuggler. And so cool. This bag of cocaine contained an estimated 76 pounds for our American viewers, metrics something or other for our non-American viewers. In freedom units. In freedom units, 76 pounds yeah. of cocaine. Thank you. And when they found this bear a few weeks later, there was no cocaine left. It was all gone. And they called it a necropsy, I think is the term when you're dissecting an animal to figure out how it died. It's, it's not I, don't, an I don't speak Spanish. Something weird. <laughs> they found damn near all the cocaine in this bear. And the medical examiner's report was incredible. You can find quotes on it on the internet if you just Google cocaine bear. They said its stomach was stuffed to the brim with cocaine and there's not a mammal on this planet that could have survived it. It had brain hemorrhaging. It had internal bleeding. That's cool. Its lungs were like exploded. So what do you do with cocaine bearer? Well, of course you taxidermy the thing because of course. Had, all the all the injuries were internal. So the, the bear looked fine. First of all, this is Kentucky yeah. where nothing happens. No. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta well, memorialize it, well, it cocaine got bear. To Kentucky eventually, but we're still in Tennessee. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all the same. They they, they taxidermy the thing, and they. Just keep it. They don't really do anything. Waylon Jennings owned it at one point. Yeah. Just I don't know how, but he did. He he had a partner in Las Vegas that like wanted it, or he gave it to somebody in Las Vegas. Was the cocaine still in the bear? Because maybe that's why he wanted. Maybe that's why you maybe got. Why. He, he said it's packed full. I mean, <laughs> when you said it's packed full and there was still like powder in there, I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck did this bear do this? Like it just straight up ate the powder out of the fucking yeah. bag. Like, oh, this tastes good. What the hell, man? Like at what point are you like you're the bear eating this cocaine? You're like I don't know about this. I don't think he ever consciously had that. Point. No, because like, if you look at what cocaine does to somebody, it just yeah. He just started eating. It. He's he like, just, oh fuck, yeah, I'm numb. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is yeah. Than fucking berries. That's awesome. <laughs> but Man. yeah, cocaine bear. It's in what theaters. a life. That's that's not our sponsor. It's not in theaters, but it will be. Well, will February. Be. February. Twenty twenty three. That's what I was gonna say. Maybe we should get them as a sponsor. Dude, I'd hit up Ray Liotta, but he's dead. Well, uh, hopefully next week we actually will have a sponsor. Big, yeah, big news. We'll yeah, see. we were gonna There's drop him tonight, but you know, we they're, were, we were working on it for for tonight. We couldn't get a script. We'll in, see you about next week. We have a we have an international sponsor <laughs> who is probably sleeping right now. So we that's why do. I can't believe we have an international sponsor. So that's why uh, that's why we couldn't get that read on there. But anyway, that's that's pretty cool. So in a lot of ways, F one can be compared to real sports. It can be because it is. And I one. say real sports with a shit-eating grin on my face because I'll say it like an asshole. Obviously, no, F1 is a sport. It's it's interesting. Honestly, the best way to get into it as a super casual fan, 
Watch the documentary. Yeah, I only care about Valtteri Bottas. He's the coolest person ever. He is the coolest person ever. He is. Well, outside of Kimi Raikkonen, but that's before. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, Kimi Raikkonen. No, I've heard about Kimi. Kimi's actually cooler. Kimi crashed out of a race in Monaco, got hammered in his own hot tub on his yacht, and fell down his yacht and off of his own boat. All I know is Botas plays hockey. He does play hockey. In Finland. On, and he's on friends with uh, a lot of, well, it's going to be our sacred Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Reference? Holy reference. shit. He's friends with uh, a lot of people on that team. That's his team. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But um, anyway, talking about other European things that Alex doesn't oh, care about. God, why, dude? It's just we have to get through it because it's we got to get to segment four, dude. It's uh, the biggest news in the sporting yeah, world. Yeah, I know. We're it's, gonna have an international sponsor here soon. I get it. So we're gonna touch on it. I get it. You know, soccer, F one. These are soccer, very popular sports. They're the most popular sports in the world. Well, well, soccer is anyway. Soccer is the most but, popular sport. NFL is second. Formula One is actually third. Okay. And, All right. Well, so there you go. The top, you know, the one and the three. I just. At I least can't this get next into one it. involves USA. I like I like the F one you know Netflix show, and that was something I could get into because you learn the story and you learn about the drivers. But like watching the races doesn't do anything for me, and I think a lot of it has to do with my love for NASCAR as a child. NASCAR is pretty solid, you, you know. Well, <laughs> your dad doesn't think so. Well, he, he's he let me know that. Uh, first of all, but he's anyway, lying. yeah, I know. He's just ran, he's just pulling my leg. But I, you know, over the years, my my love for NASCAR and racing in general has kind of waned because a lot of these racers are like 12, 15 years younger than me now. So like I don't yeah, and they're I don't rec- drones. Yeah, I don't recognize any of these names. Racing just isn't the same as it was when, you know, I was younger. Did you see what Ross Chastain did though? It, no. No, I, I haven't been paying attention to racing got, at all. I finally got caught up. I finally finished the NASCAR season like a week or two ago. I'm so far behind. But I like to watch every race live. Yeah, so that's how you, you, you are a big racing guy. And I finally finished it. Dude, listeners, both of you, if, if you're able to find it, and one of them might be Starkey and he's already seen it. But <laughs> if, if you One is definitely Starkey. Go find it. Go find it because Ross Ross Chastain Martinsville. You, you know Martinsville. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We talked about this. It fucking rail yeah. rides. Yeah, rail rides the whole thing. Yeah. All the way that, that was that was insane. That was a power move that can only be done in video games. Yeah, or Chastain. so we thought. Right. Because well, Mr. Chastain proved us wrong. He did. Yeah. Cool. And, and you know who else proved us wrong? No. The United States Men's National. Soccer oh, Center. baby. You want to talk about a sport that I really don't give a shit about is soccer. But when it comes to Team USA playing in the World Cup and fucking tying England, no, no. The U.S. won that game right. but by tying England. What if the Revolutionary War was a tie? My favorite part about that, though, was the small group mm-hmm. of USA fans mm-hmm. at that game chanting, it's called soccer. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that so much. I had a nice Hank Hill moment then, you know, just, just raising my beer. There was one of the yep. sponsors leaned into that. I, I don't remember who. It's the mark of a bad commercial, great commercial. No one knows what it's for, but they play into that. Mia Ham is like, oh, it's called soccer. You know, yeah, like, yeah, it's great. It. It's yeah. great commercial. Yeah. It triggers Europeans, and, it and that's the whole point. That's I mean, Americans point know that they're triggering Europeans by calling it soccer. Well, Americans know that, like, they don't have a shot in hell. Of course. Winning the World Cup. They're, they're lucky to be invited. Yes. They're happy to be invited. And they didn't yeah. even get invited last yeah. time around. Yeah. 
So this time around, it's like, okay, we're finally invited. How can we trigger as many Europeans as possible? Let's chant, it's called soccer. Yeah. I love it. It's brilliant. That was the best part for yeah. me. For me personally. If they don't win another game, the whole tournament or the whole cup or the whole exhibition or the whole competition. or the Whatever whole, you want to call it. Whatever it is. If they don't the win another The whole time. The whole time. If they don't win another game the whole time. Doesn't matter. They already won. The they tied England. It's actually called full time. So Correct. They did beat Iran. They beat Iran today. Dude, that, I was watching that. Yeah, you and Tyler. I was keeping an eye on it. Yeah. Dude, that was a hell of a game. Match. That was a that was a match. I gotta say that was a match. Out of all the games, tell me about it. I was doing work today. I didn't care about so soccer. Dude, okay, so USA has to win. They can't draw. They can't lose. They have to win this game if they want to advance to the round of sixteen. Yeah, I, I did read that. Yeah. Yes. They had so to beat Iran. No ties. Be, first of all, it's Iran. As it's a very, Iran. as a very plucky reporter would tell you, if you were in a press conference, either way. I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> It's Iran. You right? Well, they did a lot of running today. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. So, Up and down the field scoring. No goals. Yeah. So, USA, um, first half, they uh, Christian Pulisic, who's like our superstar, he plays for Chelsea. Everybody knows him. That's that's the face of U.S. soccer right now is, is Christian Pulisic. Um, he, takes, he takes this insane header. Ball comes across right to him. He has to jump in the air, both legs in the air, and he has to make contact with this ball and put it into the net. And he absolutely fucking buries it. It was it was pretty cool. It was it was kind of a thing of beauty. And as he's doing that, the goalie's coming out to make the save, and him and the goalie just absolutely just fucking blow each other up. So he's down. Uh, the U.S. actually had to play the last several minutes of the first half shorthanded. Because he was trying to walk it off, and you know, it wasn't like a soccer thing where it's like, oh, the wind blew, and I'm down now. It was like this was like a collision, like knee to the chest, like collision. But it resulted in the goal. So see, Lamp's pumped about it. And Lamp loves America. Yeah, come here, girl. There she is. Hey. Oh, oh, there's the other one. There's Hello. the big one. Come here, Seb. And um, but yeah, it was it was an incredible play. Puts the USF one to nothing. Uh, Christian Pulisic actually ends up finishing the game for the U.S., but he's clearly hobbled. He's clearly hurt. He's, he's not the same player. But it was a, a scenario where you have, you know, a U.S. team with all these expectations. Uh, Iran has never, ever advanced out of the group stage, ever in their history. So 70% of the crowd in Qatar was Iranian. It's uh, Qatar, by the way. Qatar. We want to talk about. Cutter, cutter. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want to give me shit really? about you. want to give me shit about talking about Wait, is Iran. It, is it really? Yeah. It's, it's. You ever listen to NPR? The They've been calling is... it Cutter for fucking weeks. I listen to one podcast, and it's suspended indefinitely. <laughs> I mean, that's good. <laughs> I don't even listen to our shit. Let's be real. Um, I don't either. Why would you? Yeah. There's no reason. Ego maniacs do that. Listen yeah. to their own stuff. Anyway. Shout out Newton. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Newton. But 70% of the crowd, Iranian. U.S., everyone wants to see the U.S. go down. That's, you know, that's what you want. You don't want to see the U.S. do well. So this is like a true, like, you know, David Goliath kind of situation. The U.S. is supposed to at least make the round of 16. No one really thinks that they're going to go further. But after not qualifying last time around, this would be, you know, a good victory for them. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's one to nothing. 
you're, you're coming to the end of the game and you have something called stoppage time, which I'm still, it's very ambiguous. I'm not sure. That was going to be my main question in this whole thing is oh, how fucking long is a soccer game even? Like how long is, you said it's half, you're like, yeah, oh, it's supposed to be half. Because at halftime you were like, oh, I'm going to lunch. I'm like, what do you mean halftime? Like, it's supposed to be Don't you two, just play like your 60 minutes and that's it? It's supposed to be two 45-minute halves. Oh, shit. And I learned this, 45 minutes 40, 45 freedom minutes is actually the same as 45 metric minutes. Oh. So wherever you go in the world, that's this is why it's the world game. Oh. Wherever you go in the world, it's two 45-minute halves. But then there's some bullshit that you get into. Yeah. Because of course there is. There's like there's stoppage time. So anytime that like and it's arbitrary, right? Can't the ref just be of, like, we're just playing another uh, I don't know, two minutes? It's like, what the fuck is supposedly, that? Supposedly, supposedly somebody keeps track of it. And the referee wears a watch that has the time on it. But we I don't know this. No mm-hmm. one knows who that person is. Like, we don't go to Mike Pereira in the booth and be like, well, we're gonna have three minutes and 33 seconds of stoppage time because asshole was rolling around on the ground. For, yeah, you know, we don't we I've always just wondered how they I have too, and yeah. I still wonder. I am a soccer guy now. I watch I watch Leeds, I watch Team USA, obviously. Or sorry. United States National Men's, what USMNT, whatever. People love soccer. Teenage it's the shirts. most popular sport in the world. I still don't understand. But I how fucking hate it. Savage time works. Yeah. The other thing is the referee has the discretion to blow the whistle whenever he feels like within stoppage time something may or may not happen. So, like, if there's a corner kick, and if his little watch buzzes or goes off or whatever, he can just be like, "Yeah, no, you know what? Let's see how this plays out. Let's see how this goes." And then, like, the corner kick comes in, and then, like, let's say that, like, the goalie stops it, and then they kick it, like, all the way back down the field. He can be like, oh, well, now the other team has a chance. So let's let's see, you know, like, maybe we give them a chance to kind of counter. Like, let's see how this goes. The games always end when the ball's at, like, it's either, like, midair and, like, nothing's yeah. happening. Or, like, it's, it's not, like, a hardcore, like, oh, this is clearly – but does it, doesn't that like open? And, and again, I'm asking this as someone who has zero knowledge of soccer. Well, I have zero answers. I, how do you like? How can you be a referee and not like? How does collusion not become a factor? Oh, it absolutely does. You it, know, because like it uh, uh, some you know head honcho of a club could be like, I'm going to pay this fucking referee off to yeah. add three extra minutes at the end of the game yeah. or whatever. I that seems silly to me. I might be wrong now. I'm, I'm more wrong than I was maybe 10 years ago when I hypothesized this. I said to get soccer to catch on in the U.S. First of all, you have to count down. Americans, they love that suspense. They love counting down. You can't count up. No one knows if there's, you know, if you're at the 30. Yeah, you don't know when it's going to end. If you're at the 37 minute and, you know, 13 second mark. We don't want to do math. We don't know how long is left in the half. What is that? Like you're counting up? I don't want I don't want to do that math in my head. You have to count down. It's like when the PA announcer announces a goal and they give the time the goal was, but it's not the time that's left it's in the not, game. No, it's just an arbitrary yeah. like it's okay, what what does this mean? No one knows no one knows what it means. It's, it's provocative. That's soccer. That's <laughs> gets people no, going. Uh, but all right. The other thing is you, you you have to do away with things like stoppage time and all of this just ambiguity that comes into the game. Like Americans like things clearly defined. Count down, and then when the game ends, the game ends. You have to add some sort of suspense 
you want to see Christian Pulisic with the ball, you know, streaking down the field and looking to score a goal. And you want everybody, you know, chanting, oh, you know, three, two, one. Oh, so, you know, you didn't get the shot off. That's every other sport. You don't get the kickoff. You know? Yeah. You don't it's almost like borderline off. impossible, though, for soccer, just given how fucking big the field is and or oh, no, like, pitch, I, I guess. Again, hey, who the good, fuck could term? No, it's not. I was saying that, <laughs> like, it's a field. Yeah. You play in a field. It's grass lines. This is a pitch. No, a pitch is you throw, a baseball. You throw a baseball. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I know all two of you who are soccer fans are going to hate me after this episode, but I don't really give a shit. You know, Europe, they, they've been getting their shit pushed in by Americans for years. So, But USA wins. They play the Netherlands at 7 a.m. West Coast time. That's all that matters. Yeah. 7 a.m. West Coast time uh, on Saturday. I don't think y'all will be up for that one. Um well, I was going to say I might be skiing for that one, but I have other other obligations later in the day, Saturday, unfortunately, I think. So maybe I will be up for that one. But, um, but yeah, anyway, USA moves on. They move out of the group stage. Uh, interesting game today against Iran. So who do they got next? Netherlands? Netherlands on Saturday, mm. yeah. In, in the in the group or the round of 16. Do they have a chance? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> They could. I don't know. We got to get Tyler on here to talk. I don't about. know how good the Dutch are at soccer, but I imagine I know that they're, they're fantastic. Probably they're probably better than uh, yeah. e- e- Iran. 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 So Iranians. So the, the the question then becomes: Should we go into stoppage time here on the pod? Should we extend, and should we have an arbitrary amount of time left? Just so that we can touch on the NHL. Um, where, where are we at right now? We're at, we're at, I mean, by the two time, hours, five minutes. If I don't edit it, we're at like the two, hour right mark. At two hours. If I do edit it, we're at like 140. Let's just touch okay. on a couple things real quick. A couple things we don't have to get because you know, I love the Blackhawks, but this season is not the season. To talk I want to set the, the stage because in a couple weeks, we're not going to have college football, really. Correct. Uh, the NFL is going to be winding down. We're going to be going heavy on hockey. We're going to have to introduce some hockey. So let's do it. Let's bust it out. Yeah. So if, if Noonan was here, he would object. Yeah. Noonan, Noonan has told me many times that he when has, it comes to the hockey talk, he's he's, he's done. Yeah. He uh, he has the sniffles. I, I really hope he'll make it. Yeah. We so, can't we can't have you pass. Let's take advantage of this. Yeah. All right. So let's talk okay. a little bit of, a little bit of hockey. Um. We're at the quarter mark of the season. Most teams have played right around 20-plus games. Yeah, 20, 21 to 22 is kind of what I'm seeing. Let's take a look at the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. specifically the Devils in the Metropolitan Division and the Bruins in the Atlantic. These two teams, I think, are going to be just the powerhouse for the rest of the year in the East. The Devils, all of their rookies that they've had the last few years in the you know Jack Hughes – um, Igor Sharangovich, uh, their defenseman, um, and uh, what's their goaltender's name? Is it Mackenzie Blackwood? Uh, yes. Mm, no. Okay. Uh, v- v- uh, Vanacek. They got him from Washington, and he has been okay. yeah, outstanding, yeah. almost undefeated this year. Um, got him, I think, for a second-round pick. Very great get for them because the aforementioned Mackenzie Blackwood, who was their goaltender for the last two years, got hurt. And without the performance of Vitek Vanacek, I don't think we see the New Jersey Devils currently sitting at 19, 
four and oh. Um, but that team in general has just been outstanding. Nico Heischer, their captain uh, this season. He, he's he's fun to watch. He for a Swiss player who really you know is a under the radar type guy. You you take a look at him, you're like that's not a, a first round or first overall pick caliber guy. Take a look at his numbers. I mean, this year, 25 points in 22 yeah. games, plus 15 on the ice, three power play goals, five power play points. This guy's been a beast uh, taking faceoffs too. So I think um, I think New Jersey is in a great spot to not just win the division, but give Boston a run for the money. Because on the other side of the Eastern Conference, you have the Boston Bruins, who have just been pretty much untouchable. They won 12 games in a row. Linus Allmark, their goaltender, is on a whole other level. Two goals against average. Um, what do you think about the Eastern Conference in general? It's and these two teams. I mean, Boston and New Jersey are just ahead of everybody else. It's surprising in a sense because just going back to Heischer, he's not like a McDavid, you know, or like a Stamkos, like when when Stamkos could could take over the league goal scoring, you know, here and there at, at different periods of, of time. But he's so talented. He takes over a game slowly. You don't even notice everything that he does until all of a sudden it's right there in your face and you have no choice but to notice it. He can skate. He's responsible in his own defensive end. Like you said, he wins faceoffs. And 25 points in 22 games, like that's that's almost – like at this point in the season, that's almost like junior-type numbers where you're at a better-than point-per-game, uh, you know – Streak, I forget the word, um, but yes, yeah, that's he's not like explosive, he's not like super fun to watch every single shift, but over 60 minutes, three periods, he's that he's, guy who's going to give 110% every shift, and you may not even notice it on the ice exactly but because that, he's that so smooth down on the bench, mm -hmm. and then he he makes everybody else around him better not just with his skills, but also just the way he plays. Their team is so unbelievably young, too. I mean, Nico Heischer is this ca the captain of this team, born in 1999. But then we mm -hmm. talked about their rookies, too. Jack Hughes, who could easily be the captain of this team, if not for Nico Heischer. Alex Holtz, who is finally starting to come around after, you know, not looking like the, you know, the Lucas Raymonds of, of the class before him. Um, Dawson Mercer, though. This is the guy who they took, I think, I believe 18th overall last year. Um, did really well um, his rookie year and has kind of stepped back a little bit. But 14 points in 23 games in your sophomore year is really nothing to scoff at, uh, especially coming off. I mean, he was a minus 25 on the ice. He's a rookie, plus four this year. So he's definitely improving. Um, and, all he, and he's not being asked like to be the guy. He's, he's able to find his own way in New Jersey's system. And not only that, he's their second-line center. So you've got mm -hmm. Heischer – one center, Dawson number two. Anytime that you can have two solid centers like that, you've got your top six in a good position. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they have two good face-off winners, along with Jack Hughes, too, who mm -hmm. you know is sometimes on the wing. I, yeah, I think 26 points in, in 23 games. Yeah. That's they, they, they have three games or three guys that are better than a point per game average. Their defense, too, Ryan Graves, Dougie Hamilton. These are guys that you know Hamilton came over as a free agent acquisition that I don't think they were expecting to um, be able to anchor the right side of that, of that blue line. Mm -hmm. um, and then they went out and got John Marino for their rookie, Ty Smith, 
this offseason who has been awesome on the right side, you know, plus 15 on the ice, eight points. So this is a, a, a team that's going to be reckoned with in the East um, as far as any shot in hell of catching up with uh, New Jersey. Do you, do you see any other teams that might have a shot? I mean, if we look at the standings right now, you got the Islanders who are eight points behind New Jersey in second in the Metropolitan Division. Mm-hmm. So if we let's let's do this by conference. So if we look at the top eight: Boston, New Jersey, Toronto, Islanders, Carolina, Tampa, Detroit, Pittsburgh. Of those eight teams, which one do you think has the best shot to supplant either New Jersey or Boston in the one-two seed? And I, for me, I'll start. I think it's Toronto. Yeah, I know. I I'm thinking exactly the same thing, but it's. If you put a different jersey on that roster in Toronto, then there's no doubt. But they're the Maple Leafs, so it's like, what's going to happen? Right. Like, this team hasn't won a cup since 1967. They first round exits galore. Yeah, they don't make the playoffs, and when they do, they lose in the first round. Yeah, they so have they they, ha- they have the pieces in place though. They always have. Yeah, they always have true, the pieces in place. True, but this year they go out and they solidify the goaltender position. That was an issue. You know, they mm-hmm. go and get Elias Samsonov. Matt Murray isn't that great, but that was, you know, a backup option. So I like the Samsonov move. Their blue line's outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, they got Mark Giordano um, at the deadline last year. He's been a great veteran presence for them, filling out, the, you know, their 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 bottom six – yeah, bottom six pairing. Um, and then you've got Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin. I, I, this defense doesn't really get much better than that. So as far as Toronto goes, when you factor in the the Marner Matthews Nylander line, I think uh, I think this is the team that really has a chance to break that 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 sixty seven drought this year. Boston, yeah, well, yeah, break that drought. Well, but they have to get through, uh, you know, New Jersey and Boston. I think they have the team that's best built to do that in the East. So just you know, sticking with our points per game theme. They've got four guys that are currently, you know, playing in a better than a point per game clip. That says powerhouse. On the defensive side of things, points leader on defense, you've got Morgan Riley, 16 assists. Uh, he's actually fifth on the team uh, in points with his 16 assists. Mm-hmm. Zero goals, however. Uh, Rasmus Sandy, one goal, seven assists from the line. Mark. Giordano, who you mentioned, one goal, five assists. Um, you know, just you just keep going down, and down, and it's they're they're not getting the goal production from the blue line, which is fine. You don't need it, which is fine. You don't need it, I but eventually, I think that maybe you do, especially if you, if you talk about you know, it's really going to play production. Sure, it's really going to come down to how healthy they can stay and how streaky they can be on offense. Yes. Yeah. They do have times, you know, Mitch Marner is the worst when it comes to goal streaks. He only has seven goals this year in 24 games. Mm-hmm. So um, to your point, when I look at this, this defense, I'm not so much worried about their point output. I'm worried about their plus minus and Morgan Riley sitting at a minus one. Well, it's not that bad, but these are guys should be in the plus five, six area. Everybody else is plus, but when you take a look at Morgan Riley, who's in the top pairing, 
you start to get a little concerned when your top pairing is giving up goals, which he seems to be doing. So what is their identity as a team? Are they just an offensive powerhouse? Are they it's a good you know, question. I mean, you you mentioned some names on their blue line. Those are really good shutdown type defensemen that do their job and also contribute and, yeah, get the, and they'll and get their, their points too. Yeah. But yeah. Eventually, but what is their identity? They're obviously not they're not a shutdown team. They're not a grinded out. Are they just going to rely on high-powered offense, maybe a goaltending tandem that features Samsonov to kind of clean it up, you know, when needed? Is that kind of what they are and is that enough? It's a good question. I would think that they're going to win games through their offense. They're not going to win much through Samsonov stealing a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still he's got a 921 save percentage, which is pretty good. But this is a team that's got a good defense in front of them. Um, I just don't think if the goals start to, you know, they get in a little bit of a drought, Mitchell Marner starts to, you know, go four or five games without a point. Same with Nylander. That's when we might start seeing Morgan Riley maybe pinch a little more, be a little more aggressive. Uh, instead of, you know, trying to stay back and, and, and stay at home. Um, but as far as the Maple Leafs go, I think that's the best team to put up points and uh, possibly move past the uh, the Bruins and the Devils. So taking a look over at the Western Conference and Justin's Sharks Mm-hmm. Um, taking a look at the uh, – trying to pull up the stats here because I know Eric Carlson is just killing it this year. Yeah, leading the league defenseman in points and goals, I think. Yeah, 11 goals, 32 points for Eric Carlson, tied in, yep. for the lead in assists with Quinn Hughes at 21. Mm-hmm. What has happened to Eric Carlson? Why is his resurgence happening? Trade him yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, with his contract, uh, that's pretty much – that's going to be hard to do. But why is Eric Carlson coming back to life? Is he just healthy now? It's – it usually happens and not anywhere near this extent early in the season. Eric Carlson is healthy. He's had a history of groin injuries, lower body right. injuries, if you will. Um, he's, he's healthy at this point. I think the other thing that we're seeing is the Sharks' power play as, has been overhauled as it would be with a new coach and staff. Um, watching Eric Carlson, he's so good at anchoring that power play. And if he has the puck, he's looking to distribute it. If he doesn't have the puck, he's looking to open himself up to somebody who does and give them a very, very easy target. And what all that equates to is puck movement. And there's probably nobody better at moving the game from the moving the puck in the game from the defensive position than Eric Carlson when he's healthy. Totally. But health, you know, that's that's always kind of been his issue, obviously. I mean, if if he played every single game like he's played so far this season, he'd be worth every bit of that $11 million uh, salary cap hit that he is. Um, I'm not sure if he's the highest paid defenseman in the game, but he's got to be – he probably I is. I believe he's at – he's right at like $11.5 million yeah, a year cap hit, so right that, that would like probably make him – yeah, that would probably make him the uh, highest paid. I'm not sure who else is up there with him, but he's, he's – Seth Jones is at nine and a half Yeah, uh, with his extension kicking in this year. We'll definitely see, you know, those numbers move up higher, especially after this year's the cap's going to move up. But um, 
taking a look at San Jose, I mean, they're 8-13-4. and four. They had an abysmal start to the season. Yeah. And they're starting to pick it up. But is this and a team was, that could maybe make the playoffs? I mean, this team doesn't look too bad on paper, so. but they don't have the depth, I think, is really what gets them in the end. I mean, and that James Reimer, really nothing special there. Capo Kakinen had a pretty decent year with the Wild last year, but he struggled this year. Yeah, like, he is I, not looking good. 884 save percentage. That is terrible among the league worst. He's only played in 10 games. What gets me for the Sharks is they they don't generate enough shots on net, and that's if you look at you know all the advanced metrics, your Corsi and your Fenwick and everything, it's all about possession and it's all about getting the puck toward the net, and the Sharks don't do that. Um, Eric Carlson is one player that does that. He he gets pucks towards the net, maybe not always on goal, but he's always he's looking for a, def, a deflection. He's he's thinking. How can I generate a goal from this current position that I'm in? But that's not the way that the Sharks play top to bottom. Um, currently, they're kind of a chip and chase team. Um, David Quinn, a lot of people like to call him the tank commander because of his time in New York where he kind of just saw out the season, You know, didn't really want to play a lot of the more young, exciting players, opted to play a lot of veterans that you know the fan base there thought really wouldn't get it done and just kind of say, okay, you know, we are rebuilding, period. This is the identity of the New York Rangers. I think he's doing the same thing in San Jose. I think that's why he was hired. Um, and that's fine. It doesn't bode well for when we really get into the nitty-gritty in the season in February, March, April, when you're looking at the playoff run, I don't think that that's going to be the identity of this team. I don't think that – you know, David Quinn is going to make the moves behind the bench that he needs to to put the right people in place to win every single game. I think he's going to put people in place to develop them. I think he's going to put people in place to not completely embarrass the team. But I think he's thinking long-term. And I think he's thinking long-term because that's probably why he was hired. The Sharks are very much in a trans transitional phase. They've never won a Stanley Cup. And in today's NHL in the salary cap area, you don't build through free agency. It's very, very difficult to build through trade. Because Got to build through the draft. Yeah, exactly. It. To build through trade, you have to give up draft picks. And the only Entry level contracts. Tank yeah. and build through the draft. Entry it's, level contracts are the key to rebuilding success. Players can come out of juniors and have a tremendous impact on a team as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. You don't have to go through. It's, it's not like baseball. We have two to three years at least of development for sure. a top draft pick. Yeah. A first-round draft pick in the major leagues has, on average, at least two years of development in the minor leagues. And then they come up, and they may not even have a starting role. Yeah. And the first overall pick in the NHL is hitting the ice at 18. You're hitting yeah. the ice at 18, and you're expected to score 30 fucking goals a season. Yeah. And that's the only way to do it. And that does happen. That's not only the expectation. That's what happens. So, yeah, Sharks – they're sitting there. They're, they're second from the bottom in their division. They're 15 points out of first place in the Pacific. I really don't see the Vegas Golden Knights slowing down a ton. I'm surprised that Seattle is up there, but they have Matty Beniers, who they took in the draft. Beniers is having a great year so um, far. As was expected. I am surprised to see the Kings up there. I think the Oilers should probably be up there around first place. They're 11 points out of first place right now. Would have expected more from them, as everybody always does every season. Um, Calgary, I thought, might be a little bit higher. Uh, they had the big, yeah, they had some great offseason moves. Yeah, 
they had the getting Huberto the and Weebar, but then they yep. go out and they pick up Huberto right away. And, got Nazem Kadri. Yeah, Kadri. Yeah, signed. Yeah. Um, yeah. To start nine, nine, and three with that team is very shocking, but it's surprising. I would expect Edmonton and Calgary in the Battle of Alberta to move up the ranks of the Pacific Division sooner rather than later as we move into the latter half of the first half. Uh, that's the second quarter for you, math buffs out there. Just your Scott Steiner guys. <laughs> um, I don't think the Sharks are really going, you know, they're okay. Put it this way. They're not getting out of the bottom three of the Pacific division. They are not a playoff team. Um, and it kind of, it kind of sucks because, you know, Connor Bedard is sitting there at the top of the draft this year. Body. Do you want to just absolutely tank commander it and, you know, swim for the bottom. I don't think. Sharks. I don't think you can. I don't think you you can possibly be the worst team in the league compared to, you know, Chicago sitting with sixteen points, six eleven and four mm-hmm. at minus twenty six goal differential. Ducks are sitting there at thirteen. Points. Yeah, Ducks are even worse. So minus, minus thirty six. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, typically the worst team in the league, you know, does not get first overall pick with the lottery. So I wouldn't mind the Hawks finishing, you know, between you know second and fourth, something like that, just to have a good shot at getting first overall. Honestly, if they don't get Connor Bedard, not a big deal. This is a very good draft class. Matt Van Mitchkoff from Russia is another another big name. Um, but I think uh, – I, I agree. Uh, I think Seattle, of, of everybody in the Pacific, I think Seattle actually does have a good chance because Philip Gru- Philip Grubauer has – you know, he had a shit year last year. I was year. just going to say they, they built the right way from the net out. Yeah, you know, Ron Francis got shit on a lot for, for mm-hmm. basically not taking advantage of, of, you know, the same way Vegas did in their expansion draft, but – you know, he's had a lot more flexibility with the, you know, the, the the core he has and going out in free agency and being able to to get the role players and pieces that he needs to, to fill out that team. You know, there wasn't a lot of talent to pick from in the expansion draft compared to Vegas's in 2017. And a lot of people thought, okay, well, they could have taken, you know, Carey Price, who's not playing anymore, or they could have taken, jeez. Uh, um, uh, Lose, uh, I'm, I'm losing it, but there are a number of players Seattle could have taken in that draft that they did not in the expansion draft and opted mm-hmm. for, you know, entry level contracts or even free agents that didn't end up re signing with Seattle after they were chosen, like Carson Forensky. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I think Seattle's in a good spot. I think Ron Francis is actually starting to it, it sucks because you, you want to say, oh, Ron Francis is doing such a good job, but. Matty Beneers fell into your lap at two, and Shane Wright fell into your lap at four. You really aren't doing hey, any. That's Coachella Valley Firebirds' own Shane Wright. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did <laughs> score his first professional goal this past week mm-hmm. with the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, not here in town, though, in Calgary. So that's interesting. But um, yeah, I go. Uh, I go Seattle in in the Pacific right now. I mean. I don't think they're beating Vegas, but I think Seattle is, is solid right there in second. Vegas and Seattle at the top of the Pacific Division. Uh, and in the Central, it's it, – don't look at Colorado's points, you know, in third, 25 points, and say, oh, yeah, they're they're done. That team's going to win the Central, um, I yeah. think. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dallas, it's – Dallas is, is playing well. They're built very well, but mm-hmm. with – the they're veterans, they're overachieving. Yeah, with the veterans that they have on, on that team, I don't see them sustaining it over eighty-two games. 
They just re-signed one of their better um, role, one of their better penalty killers in Rupe Hints. Eight years, eight point four five million AAV. Love that deal for him. He's he's been gradually. If you look at his hockey reference page, each year he's just been getting significantly better. Very underrated. Um, bottom six player, middle six player. Uh, is that Dallas. too much money? Too much cap hit for a bottom six kind of guy? Or I don't think so. Or, or, this or, is, or do you think he could find a, a, a role on a top six? No, line he's, that, he's that absolutely defense. going to move to a top six role. In mm-hmm. fact, he may be there right now. I just haven't been watching a lot of Dallas hockey. I just know in years past, this is a guy who hasn't been able to move up the depth chart just because he's been so useful mm-hmm. as a penalty killer. But now he's actually continued to put points up. Uh, I see no reason why he wouldn't be on the power play because um, he's very good at protecting the puck. Um, so, yeah, great extension there, I think, for Dallas. Um, doesn't really hurt you. I mean, you look at it now, you're like 8 by 8.45. When you look at hockey salaries, that's in the next you know two, three years, that's going to be the, the going rate for your middle six guys. So. Yeah. Played uh, 18 minutes and 13 seconds um, his last game, which actually That's a long minutes for yeah, it, like it puts him it puts him up there. That's actually top um, that's top minutes for him, third on on the team uh, in that game against St. Louis. So yeah, well, like you said, maybe he is you know working his way up that that Dallas lineup. Um, they obviously saw something in him long term, and maybe they're seeing something in him short term and. It's going to take players like him, you know, to to step up to maintain over 82 games the type of production that we've seen uh, from Dallas. 30 points sitting there at the top of the Central with threats like the Colorado Avalanche uh, coming up quickly behind. And Jake Ottinger and that too, he's been doing great to begin this year. But the last few years, as the season has progressed after the All Star break, he tends to fall off. So yeah. when it comes to Dallas trying to stay at the top of the division. They might want to try and limit his workload a bit. They did get Scott Wedgwood, who was waiver fodder a lot uh, the last couple of years. It's a solid backup. So hopefully they can manage his workload a bit to keep him uh, healthy and, you know, effective on the ice. Um, what do you think about Winnipeg? Um, are they a. Uh, uh- Contender or threat, you know. They're definitely not a pretender. I mean, Connor Hellebuck, he's a Vesna winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy who can steal you games. Um, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is finally starting to get, you know, his, his feet under him uh, after coming over in that Patrick Line trade. And it was kind of underwhelming from a Jets perspective. Um, Nikolai Ehlers still um, injured. But when he comes back, that, that'll be a nice – um, injection of offense for them. Um, wow, I did not know they had Sam Gagne on their team. That's mm-hmm. that's an old name. Good skater. Um, Jansen Harkins. This is a guy who was drafted in the first, believe the first round, maybe the second round, um, in 2015, who has been, I think he's like 24, 25 right now. Um, they played against the Hawks last week. They uh, absolutely destroyed the Hawks 7-2. to And Jansen Harkins had a, a two-goal performance. Looked very good on the ice. Um, That's a guy who could finally, you know, carve out a decent role in, um, you know, the middle six uh, forwards for Winnipeg. Um, I like their team. Uh, Cole Perfetti is a great 
um, rookie. Uh, he didn't really get a lot of time last year to, to show what he could do before they sent him back to junior. So I, I think Cole Perfetti, Perfetti continuing to develop um, is going to help them out big time down the stretch. And then you've got, you know, your Kyle Connor, who's probably the best player on the team along with Mark Shifley on offense. So defense really not much to look at there. Uh, <laughs> um, Josh Morrissey, He's he's the guy there. Vinny Hainala is a, a former first round pick who hasn't really got a, a lot of chances. Uh, Dylan Demello, that's a that's a former shark who is surprisingly very useful. Um, uh, he was good for the sharks because he didn't fuck up too much. Mm-hmm. He's decent so, in Ottawa too. Yeah, he was fine in that regard. Like you didn't really notice him, and that's that's kind of what you need is a few of those guys. Um, but yeah, Neil Pionk. That was a that was a good get for them in the uh, Jacob Truba trade two years ago. Um, that's still paying dividends. So yeah, I think uh, I think Winnipeg for sure has a shot. Um, man, any of these teams we've mentioned, Winnipeg is going to be a pain in the ass for everybody in that central yeah. division. I think I think that they will be a playoff team, and it's going to be kind of a dogfight coming out of there. Um, maybe it's a wild card, maybe it's not, but I mean. Minnesota Wild are right there. The Blues are right there. Uh, their Blues are seven and three over the last ten, so they're mm-hmm. starting to finally play a little bit better after falling on their face, uh, you know, for the early part of the season. Um, then there's there's what I think is kind of a drop off back to Nashville, Arizona, Chicago, like you mentioned. So for me, coming out of the Central, I have Colorado. I probably got Colorado winning the, the for division. sure. I've got Dallas P2, and I've probably got the Winnipeg Jets right there in third, followed closely by the Minnesota Wild. So that, that'll be one to watch. But give me your just give me your favorites, one team out of the East, one team out of the West for the Cup. If I had to pick the Cup today, I'd probably say Boston and Colorado. I think Colorado – I don't – I mean, call it a Cup hangover, whatever – there's still five game or five points out of first place that can change in one week. Um, you know, even two games that can change. So I think, uh, I think we'll see Colorado, um, maybe not repeat, but they'll definitely make it back. I mean, there's no other team. I, I'm scrolling up and down in the West, looking for a team that could really take Colorado to seven games in the playoffs. I just, I don't see it. I still think Colorado is as dominant as they were last year. Um, they didn't really lose. They lost Nazem Kadri and Darcy Kemper, but they went out and got Georgiev, mm-hmm. who's been solid in net. They're still a plus 21 uh, goal differential. Mm-hmm. So assuming that Dallas and Winnipeg start, I mean, I don't think they're going to, you know, crash and burn, but I definitely think they're more of a two, three, four area than one, two. So I would take Colorado in the West and I'm taking Boston. I don't think, I can take anyone else but Boston in the East right now. I mean, they're completely dominating. Plus 40 goal differential. Uh, they're on a two-game win streak, but they've won 13 in a row at home. They're 13 and 0. 13 0 and 0 at home. So I mean, you can't you can't mess with a team that's winning that that much at home. It reminds me a lot of the 2015 Blackhawks. I'm sorry, the 2013 Blackhawks that won uh, 20 straight games. Um, and didn't lose a game in regulation or 
rather, they didn't lose a game in 20 straight games in regulation. Right. Yeah. So they remind Money me. Moneyball too. Yeah, they remind me a lot of that team. Just very well built, um, which is surprising. You know, Don Sweeney has taken a lot of shit over the years, but I think uh, with Taylor Hall finally finding his his place with David Pasternak on that on that first line with uh, Krejci is going to take them pretty far. I'm sorry, second line. And then you got Bergeron at the top too. So I, li- I like that team. I like them a lot. I think in the end, though, it's going to be Colorado. Colorado over Boston in uh, in six. Oh, okay. All right. If we're going let's super just, early. Let's fire up the, the spreadsheet here. Let's just put this in, Colorado. Super early. Yep. Typing. yep. On November 29th, 2022, 25 games into the season. Yeah. Book it. I'm going Colorado, okay. Boston. Colorado in six. I'm going Colorado over the Leafs. Interesting. Leafs so you down. think the Leafs can get past Boston? Yeah. They finally get it done. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I think the Leafs finally get it done. They pull off what will have to be an upset at some point, I think, in the playoffs. Um, I don't know if they get to Boston in the playoffs, but either way, I don't see Boston sustaining this and driving it all the way through. And I think that this is Toronto's year. Um, we talked about I think Toronto has to find an identity first, but if they are an offense team, you know, offense first, figure out the rest later type of team, I like it. Talent is there. You know, we sit here, we talk about the Bostons, the Winnipegs, the Colorados, but we have completely disrespected the Tampa Bay Lightning. No, you're right. You know, they, I, they I, was, I was looking at them too. They, uh, but what gets me about them is they're such a big – Drop off in goal differential, um, plus five so far. But you know they're 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 always they always find a way. But I I, I think that that magic that salary cap magic is is going to finally run out for the Lightning this year. I don't know, man. I really don't know. This team is is so well built from top to bottom. Their defense is outstanding. They still have Chernak. They still have Victor Hedman and Sergachev. Philip Myers has been decent. He came over from Philly uh, from last year. Uh, so I don't know. They Brandon Hagel is still putting up points. You know, he kind of overachieved last year, but he's got 17 points in 21 games. So in fact, the Hawks got two first round picks for him. I'm happy <laughs> as shit about that. There you go. But um, yeah, I don't know. Ross Colton, another great fourth line guy. Um, Pierre Edward Belmar. Guys win cups. They do. Ross Colton has two of them. So, uh, and Pat Maroon, you know, he's still there. I don't know. I look at this team and I say, can't really bet it against them. But at the same time, I still do like Boston a little more than Tampa right right now, as we sit right down right now. now. A quarter-ish way. I've, I've, watched, say. I've watched two Bruins games this year, and both of them were complete blowouts, and they just looked unstoppable. So I'm just doing the eye test, but – that remains to be seen. It's a long season. They still have like 60 games left, so mm-hmm. a lot can happen in that time. A lot can. A lot can. So that, you know, a lot to look forward to in the NHL. Um, it will be a topic of discussion, you know, in the weeks to come. We are getting to the tail end of the college football season. Yep. Uh, the NFL season coming up. Hopefully we can talk some fantasy football next week with uh, a lot of fantasy teams Fantasy leagues entering uh, playoffs in the coming weeks. We could touch on that. 
a lot of exciting things to talk about. Um, in the NHL, we will continue to keep an eye on the World Cup and, of course, all things Formula One. If you're looking for an excuse to wake up and start drinking at 5 in the morning, um, check out Formula One. Um, but, yeah, that, uh, I think that will do it for today Yeah, uh, for the Suspended and Definitely podcast. Got it done. Got through it. Next week, we'll see if we have Ryan back if his uh, little sinus infection yeah. maybe clears up. Inflamed um, larynx. Take some Sudafed for his inflamed larynx. That would be fantastic, or maybe it wouldn't. Um, Alex, hopefully you'll be back next week. Of course I will. Where, where am I going? Uh, I maybe to we do. will hopefully get our covert uh, fantasy expert on the show. I still need to shoot that guy a text and send that We'll up. try and get power Josh on here. He, he doesn't do anything with his life, so it shouldn't be too hard. Um, and for that, that's that's all I got. Uh, Lamp, you got anything? Lamp. No, she's she's hungry. I don't think she can see. She wants her food. So we're going to go feed the dogs. This has been uh, the Suspended Indefinitely podcast. Cannot wait to be back with you. (laughs) I'm not going to edit that out. Cannot wait to to be back with you uh, next week. Uh, Thanks for sticking with us. Special episode. Special episode. Very special episode. Justin's birthday. The birthday edition. Thank you for sticking with us uh, this week on an extended edition. And we will see you. On the flip side, you've been suspended indefinitely.